Uh, Lonigan starts to get ready to make some grub, and McIntyre heads off and kills a couple parrots with a shotgun. I don't know why. <laughs> why? <laughs> That's horrible. That's what he said. It's like in his testimony. Yeah, so I went off to kill some parrots with my shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. That, that's imperialism in one sentence. <laughs> yeah, so. oh, welcome, bienvenue to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Well, I'm not actually here with him. I'm a thousand miles away. But tonight he looks so pretty. Yes, you do. Times Square can't shine as bright as you. I swear it's true. Say hi, James. Be back by midnight or I'll cast a spell on you. <laughs> that, was, that was out there. Of course, I guess my thing was out there too. <laughs> well, that was a terrible introduction. That was really bad. Yeah. It was amazing though. Let's go. There, Let's go on. There's no way we can salvage this one. Uh, we just nope. have to. We just have to carry on. So we hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurs best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're gonna try anyway. So James, who do we have this week? We have Ned Kelly and Trofim Lysenko. Oh, hell yeah. And James, please inform the audience which of us will be doing the Soviet on this episode. I will. Aaron has reached his lifetime limit on communists. True. He will be banned from talking about Mao effective immediately. I'm sure everyone will be very pleased about that. The good news, though, is that Pickles can still talk about Mao. Mao. So, I guess what this new policy is saying uh, is basically this. Four legs good, two legs bad. Oh my god, that's a violation right there. What? What the fuck? What the fuck is this? That, my friend, is a communist ticket. What? You referenced communism, and now you owe me a pint. This is deep state tyranny. Just shut the fuck up about communism, and everything will be fine. No! Don't tempt me, pickles. Shall we head to the history lab? Let's do it. Bush did 9-11, and reptilians have possessed the upper levels of every national government. Two men stood up and said, No. Ned Kelly and Trofim Lysenko. One an outlaw and human panzer. The other a Russian guy who I am not talking about today. This is the greatest pairing we've had on this show since David Koresh and Jim Jones. In the battle for who can make James scream taxation is theft, only one can come out the ultimate victor. We all know, though, who the ultimate victor is. It's the town of Victor. It's in Indiana. It's unincorporated, therefore small. And it has a giant elevated train track running through it for no reason. So, James, tell me. Yeah. If you had to pick one person from history to keep from being born besides Hitler, who would you pick? Abel Tasman. What? Abel Tasman, that's his name. Who the fuck is that? Abel Tasman is the fucking idiot who discovered New Zealand. <laughs> really? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> New Zealand. Yep. Uh, I so, guess that, yeah. fuck Abel and all of his hobbit <laughs> sheep finding islands. We don't need that. Nobody no, needs that. No, we don't need that at all. 
some redneck Australians out on these two <laughs> islands that look like Poseidon took a dump in the ocean and they rose to the top and became New Zealand. Just look, New Zealand. <laughs> redneck Australians. That's what we're talking about today, by the way. Oh, yeah. Right. So just hmm. get ready. Oh, but before that, I want to know who would who would you pick to not be born besides uh, Hitler? I would make a joke and say myself because haha, <laughs> I I had depression at one point, uh, but then I found Jesus. No more depression. Uh, uh, right. And then I uh, found Mormonism, and I had even less. Oh wow! So you know, things are good. But if Did I you find pick, Waldo, I found Waldo also. He is an asshole. Oh just shit! So you know. He's also addicted to meth, which is not cool. Oh god! He's, he's addicted to all kinds of uppers. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But if I had to pick one person from to, to prevent from being born, it would probably be George Lucas. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, because, hmm, you know, okay. he sold Star Wars to Disney, and you know I have a problem with that. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. This, <laughs> this latest movie, I haven't seen the last two, uh, because I don't like the new ones. They're gross. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. We're going to get bad things for that. That's fine. I didn't like the new Indiana Jones very much either, though I, I will admit. I'm probably, Part time. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm probably the only person on the planet who liked the refrigerator scene. Oh. <laughs> I actually liked it. I thought it was hilarious. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. And, and not because, yeah. haha, that would never work. You know, I'm a snob. No, it was mm -hmm. like... That actually is so Indiana Jones, you have to love it. Like, it was, yeah. a, it was a real Indiana Jones moment. I don't get people getting crazy about it. I mean, there's a scene in the old one... Well, he opens the Ark of the fucking Covenant, okay? So that's a thing that happens. And right. there's also a scene where he falls off a cliff on top of a tank and somehow manages to survive. It's like, of course it's unrealistic. That's the point. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I don't care what you say. But anyway... Mm. Uh, <laughs> Computer, please bring up Ned Kelly and Trofim Lysenko. Alright, let's get this. <laughs> <laughs> You're fucking dying up there in Chicago. Mm. He is, mm, he is. Mm. Okay. Well, James. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> what is Ned Kelly? best known for. Ned Aaron. Kelly is best known for being the most hardcore son of a bitch in the Australian outback. This this motherfucker right here, this guy, this guy is insane. Okay. <laughs> that was verging on an Alex Jones impression. <laughs> that was almost really good. This guy, this, this guy, I can't do it though. No. <laughs> Alright. Turn uh. the frogs gay! <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Okay. So, now you have to ask me what Ned Kelly looked like. Ah, yes. What did Ned Kelly look like? Ned Kelly is half Chris Pine, half Stonewall Jackson. Oh, my God. I know. The upper <laughs> half of his face is as dashing as you'd expect the latest Hollywood dreamboat to be. And the lower half of his face is as hardcore as bedrock in Minecraft. Uh -huh. Yeah. Wow. So pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. You know, unbreakable. Uh, so he's got this carefully styled hair, uh, from what I can tell. And his eyes uh, would make my sister swoon. Yeah. Hmm. So this guy... This guy's a handsome son of a bitch. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not too often that we have handsome people on this show. Besides uh, us. <laughs> besides, yeah, besides us, you know. Just, yeah. So very, uh, posh with our looks or something. I don't know. Uh, doesn't matter. Can you be posh with your looks? I suppose you can. I suppose you can. I don't know what posh means. It's a thing that I heard them say all the time in UK. Oh, you've got your posh coffee or something like that. Yeah, okay. they all sound like that, by the way. All twisting their they mustaches, do. you know. 
but anyway, so <clears throat> tell us, what is this communist Trofim Lysenko best known for, James? Trofim Lysenko is best known for being the Soviet dictator of biology. <laughs> dictator of biology? Yes. <laughs> How do you dictate biology? You'll see. Oh, shh. Yeah. By turning the frogs gay, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> kind of. Uh, really? Yeah, oh, God. No, Good. Really. Yes. No, no, no. I, I don't know why I said kind of. <laughs> That's a mistake. Damn it. So, yeah. uh, what did this uh, Trofim Lysenko look like? Well, Trofim looks like a scary son of a bitch. Good. He looks like a Nazi on the hunt for allied resistance. Uh, but actually, he's a communist looking for wheat seeds. <laughs> Either way, he's scary looking. Uh, Alright, I'll accept that. Um, we'll enter it into evidence over here. <laughs> so what do you think? You know, this is going to be probably a pretty long episode. Uh, so far, our our mobily proxy-recorded episodes have been, like, much longer than the others. Yeah, I don't know why that's happened. I don't know. Maybe it's easier to talk to you when I don't have to look at you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that yeah. is true. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, so, <laughs> with all that... Uh, behind us. How about we just go right into Ned Kelly's early life? Let's do it. All right. But first, I'm getting popping. You're getting popping. Let's talk about Ned Kelly's early life, shall we, James? Please. Okay. <laughs> but first, we're going to talk about Australia because we need to mm. set the stage for the bullshit that's coming down the line. Ooh. And if you feel like you need to interrupt me at any point to add anything about the history of Australia, please do, because I did a very, very, very fucking cursory overlook. Like, like <laughs> okay, it's I'm terrible. so ready. Just get ready for <laughs> okay. some, some terrible history. Yes. Uh, okay, but first I need to, like, nothing. I need to take a drink. Pardon me. Oh, okay. He's an Whiskey at 11.30, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Australia. <laughs> All right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, let's talk about Australia. Uh, Australia before, I keep saying Australia, Australia, uh, before the 1600s, was entirely populated by people called Aboriginal Australians. Mm. And they were there for like thousands and thousands of years. Okay. The Aboriginals were on Australia for between 40 and 70,000 years. Holy shit! Yeah, in <laughs> fact, their traditions are among the most ancient that are still around today, which is interesting. Wow. Yeah, so older than the Catholic Church, despite well, yeah. what the Catholic Church might tell you. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, the eldest Christian tradition. Yeah, that's fun. So anyway, mm. for thousands of years, the Aboriginals have, have it made in the shade. And then, nice. boom! Early 1600s, the Dutch arrive! And they call mm. this new landmass they're discovering uh, New Holland? <laughs> <laughs> because, obviously... <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. yeah, and so they pretty much do nothing with Australia at this time except for observation. Mm, and good. what do these observers observe? Take I a don't guess. Know. Yeah, take a um, guess, though. Uh, boomerangs and dingoes. Actually, yes. Oh, oh, because okay. the aboriginal the aboriginals invented the boomerang, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah, which is pretty cool. I don't know how you figure that out. Like, hey, if I throw this thing and it comes back, wow! I don't know. I know bo boomerangs are so fucking amazing. Hey, quick boomerang story. Yes. Once I got a boomerang for my uh, for my birthday, and so my dad and I went out to a giant field, and he was like, "Here, let me see that." And he throws it into a, a giant pole. It cracks in half, and I never got to throw my boomerang. <laughs> That's. That's hilarious, <laughs> I gotta say. That is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. so uh, they invented the boomerang, and they hunted with it, which is crazy. Wow. Uh, so, these these uh, 
Dutch observers, right? We were talking about the Dutch. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they're observing the Aborigines, and they discover that they have it really good. Yeah. And they're, like, really happy. And, and one guy even writes that the Aborigines had, quote, or that they, quote, suffered less and enjoyed life more than the majority of civilized men. Wow. Yeah, so they're like, hey, look at these really happy natives here. Let's go fuck them up. <laughs> yeah, you know what they need? White settlers. Yes, that's exactly what they need. Uh, so, but actually, it wasn't the Dutch that really did anything. Is from what I from what I read, it wasn't oh, okay. like until James Cook came around ah, uh, no, in the late 1770s and claimed the East Coast for Britain. Yeah, <laughs> and so this doesn't go well for the natives. Uh. It's the same thing that happened in the Americas. Uh, diseases from Europe that the natives hadn't been in contact with before had, you know, they just wiped out a ton of them. Yep. Mm. Uh, and there were also little skirmishes, wars, things like that, but nothing compared to the death toll caused by the disease. Uh, around half of the aborigines in Australia were killed by disease. Wow. Yeah, half of them. So, if you want to read some pretty difficult shit, read about the experiences that the Aborigines had with British settlers. Not good. Oh, jeez. Okay. Anyway, so Australia basically gets rolled over by European migrants looking to colonize the land. There's a bunch of shit that goes down, it's all very complicated, but the point is, Australia has this tumultuous period of settlement that's just as nasty and complicated as any other civilization. Great. Yeah, so... Uh, to add to that complication, though, uh, Australian colonies had become dumping grounds for criminals being deported from Europe. Oh, so these people were basically <laughs> just sent to Australia and thrown into prisons for a few years. Yeah. Um, but after a while, the prisons got too full. <clears throat> so jeez. Oh, this idea comes around that maybe the best behaved prisoners should be released and allowed to work the land for decent wages. Great. Yeah. So these are called freedmen. How about that? Mm, sounds like Ohio. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I have a cousin who lives in Ohio, and he works for an engine company ah. called Cummins. Mm. Spelled exactly as you'd expect. <laughs> shout so, out to them. Shout out to the to the Cummins people of Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> we are, yeah. <laughs> they come in, they come uh, out. Okay. Can't explain that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it live! Uh, so anyway, with all that, we can get to Ned Kelly. Alright, so that's just giving yes. you a little background. There's these prisoners who are... These ex-cons who are starting their own things, working the land and that sort of thing. And then there's um, these aboriginals who think that the island is theirs or some bullshit like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it belongs to Britain! Uh, obviously. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no. <clears throat> uh, that was a joke, everybody. Uh, yeah, so, uh, anyway. Ned Kelly is of Irish descent. All right, mm. which, mm -hmm. you know, the Irish and the English don't really, they don't really get along all that well around this something time. like that. Yeah, yeah. There's like a, a war going on or something. I I don't know. I um, heard centuries of of being mean to each other. Yeah, but... yeah. Um, or well, were the Irish really mean to the English? I don't know, man. I don't really think so. Were Sounds they? like you're picking sides. I'm not choosing sides. I'm just biased because I've only read the Irish side of the story. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Liam Lynch, everybody. Our well, worst I mean, episode. Whole... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not our worst No, it's episode. definitely not our worst. Our worst is certainly the one with Bryce, because that son of a bitch. <laughs> he stole our time and stole our hearts. Yeah, he did steal our hearts. He if you're listening, yeah. Bryce, we love you. We do. Yes. So, uh, anyway, so this guy of Irish descent, Ned Kelly. Yes. Um, we're going to not talk about Ned Kelly yet. Uh-oh. <laughs> you thought we were going to talk about Ned Kelly. We're not going to talk about Ned Kelly yet. We're going to talk about his parents. 
Oh, All right. okay. So his old dad uh, was a pig stealing, no good great great grandfather in this case, father. That's a uh-huh. holes reference, everybody. A holes reference. I was gonna yeah. say, mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so he stole two pigs in Ireland and was sent to Australia to serve his time. Oh. Uh, and he served for two pigs. By the way, he served six years in prison. Oh my god. Yeah, and that wasn't his full sentence. Oh, yeah, he had a longer sentence, but he was given uh, the free status or whatever uh, because he was a really good guy. Uh, and he moved to Victoria to work on a farm as a carpenter. And okay. then he started digging for gold. Hmm. And he actually oh, yeah. had a lot Wasn't of success. There an Australian yeah. gold rush? Yeah. yeah, yeah, there was an Australian gold rush. He was a part of it and got really rich. Wow. Yeah. So he buys some land and gets married and has some kids, one of whom is Ned Kelly. Oh, shit. Yeah. So Ned Kelly was born in 1854 and was baptized by an Augustinian prince named Charles O'Hay. I think it's O'Hea? O'Hay? Whatever. Then there's this gap in his life. Oh, that's of like, a good store. Of like 10 years, right? Yeah. So, in 1864... Jeez, I shouldn't be drinking carbonated water while what recording this. What is wrong with you? I'm an idiot, that's what. But anyway, so, he's 10. It's 1864. Uh, and Ned and his family moved to this town called Avenel. I think that's how you pronounce it, but you never mm-hmm. know. No. Uh, so, because Louisville, Louisville, right? Yeah. yeah. Louisville, it's Louisville. <laughs> Greenwich, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So anyway, <clears throat> they go to Avenel, and uh, while growing up in this town, Ned liked to go out and explore the bush, which allowed him to grow some kind of familiarity with the region. I don't like that sentence. I could read it again. (laughs) Ned liked to explore the bush, which allowed him to grow some kind of familiarity with the region. Well, I guess we all we all do that to some extent. Uh, not all of us, James. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, that's true. Mm, mm. Anyway, so while uh, so anyway, the bush is the outback, right? It's the oh right. It's it's the it's the fluffy zone out. <laughs> no, that wasn't a joke. Out of I, all I the adjectives, the word I meant was scrub. It's like scrubland, right? Okay. So like short trees and shit. From yeah, you know what? You, it's you. You're the one with the filthy mind. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. So anyway, he's in the bush, and while living in this area, Nade, uh, Ned, Ned, Ned <laughs> saved a boy from drowning. Oh, good yeah. for him. Yeah. So uh, for this. Uh, the kid's parents gave Ned a green sash, which he wore throughout the rest of his life. Oh, cool. (laughs) That very next year, however, Ned's old dad got in trouble with the law again. (sighs) Yeah. Not good. Yeah, so he was convicted of the following charge. Unlawful possession of a bullock hide. Um. Your thoughts. (laughs) Um. Okay. Uh, I'm on board. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. so so was Ned's dad. Uh, because okay. basically all it meant was that he had some meat and couldn't explain why. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. So the cops are like, hey, where'd you get that steak? And he's like... Outback I- Steakhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I got it in the Outback. And they were like, not good enough. So they fine him mm. 25 pounds. Oh, jeez. Which is a lot. Yeah. Um, and remember, he spent most of his money on this this land, right? Yeah. Um, so he couldn't pay it, and he was sent to serve six months of manual labor. Jesus Christ! I, these I know. Laws. I know. Just like that. So oh. uh, then he gets out, and because of what happened, he was in like terrible health, and he basically drank himself to death and died a year later in 1866. Oh God. Yeah. So that's wow. when Ned is 12, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm, yeah. Yeah. So that just 
that just sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Especially for Ned's mom, because she's oh. got seven young mouths to feed as well as her own. Jeez. <clears throat> oh, so when all this tragedy happens, uh, it seems that Ned, uh, it seems that young Ned took notice of how unfair the police had been with his father. Um, and basically, the seeds of outlawdom were planted. Ah, okay. Right. So yeah. uh, Ned's mom decides it's time to move. Uh, a few years after this tragedy. Mm -hmm. So they pick about 90 acres of uncultivated land to till up and try to make a living as, fa as a family, right? Okay. So basically spend whatever they have left to try and, like, this last, you know, saving throw or whatever. Yeah. Um, so anyway, things do not go well. Oh, dear. Yeah, so uh, before long, a whole bunch of the Kellys are being accused of cattle rustling or horse stealing, um, <laughs> which, if they were, and they were... You can hardly blame them because right, the state the state had screwed them out of everything they had, and they the state basically killed their father. So there's that. Yeah, true. Um, so anyway, these charges were almost never substantiated until way later. Huh. Um, they'd never actually caught them doing it. They just were like, "Yeah, the Kellys, you know, they're blah, blah. Um, oh jeez, yeah. they're bad, right?" So uh, we found marijuana in their car. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> the family was chased down, fined, and harassed all the time. Like the police mm -hmm. were constantly visiting them. So oh, then this crazy fucking story happens when Kelly turns 14. All right. Okay. So yeah. in the fall, get, just, just bear with me. Bear, I'm ready. <laughs> bear with me, and feel free to interrupt with anything, any reactions. Uh, you know, okay. I, I know there's a slight delay, but I will stop just to hear what you have to say. Sure. All right. So, <clears throat> in the you. in the fall of 1869, Kelly is charged with the assault and robbery of I shit you not a guy named Ah Fook. <laughs> ah Fook. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah. So Ah Fook was a Chinese guy who traded pigs and birds. Oh, so now I'm a racist for laughing. <laughs> yeah, you're. It's too late. Too late. We're gonna get brigaded. Ah, folk. Ah, folk. So anyway, he's he's in Australia trying to sell birds and pigs, which great, good for you, ah, folk. Um, uh, interesting choice of material to sell, but whatever. What are you gonna do? So anyway, uh, he goes on this journey to trade some pig and some bird, and mm. <laughs> one day, ah, folk passed by the Kelly homestead, uh -huh. and there are two versions of this story. Off Fook's version and Ned Felly, uh, Ned Kelly's version. All right. Okay. Yeah. So in Off Fook's version, Off Virgin Jesus. In Off Fook's version, <laughs> Off Fook claims that Ned Kelly approached him with a bamboo stick, announced he was a bush ranger, and said he would kill him if he didn't hand over his coin. Okay. Off Fook claims that he said no, and Ned Kelly then proceeded to beat the shit out of him with a stick and steal his money. Mm, not cool. No. So according to Ned Kelly and his family, though. Afuk passed by Ned's house and asked for some water. Uh, mm. Ned's sister, Annie, promptly got Afuk some water, uh, which he basically spat on her because she he was convinced that she had given him river water instead of rain water. Okay. And Ned didn't like Afuk mistreating his sister, so he came out and shoved Afuk away. Afuk mm -hmm. then hit Ned Kelly with a bamboo stick before Ned fucking stole his damn stick and hit back. <laughs> so okay. Afuk got fuck out of there, or the fook out of there, I don't know. What's it, uh, oh, while yelling about how he's going to burn down the Kelly homestead. And then the little bitch goes and snitches to the cops. Oh, shit. Yeah. So you can imagine what happens. Uh, yeah. Kelly was charged the next day uh, for assault, but it wasn't easy. In fact, it took several men to bring him down. And they actually oh. had to knock him the fuck out to get him to go to court. He was like 15. Oh, God. Yeah, so he was arrested, but the charge was eventually dismissed about a week later. Right. 
Right, because okay. I don't actually know why. There's probably trial records, and I was I was going through actual trial records in the Australian archives, like wow, old documents written like over a hundred years ago, almost 150 at this point. Australians um, can write. <laughs> yes, no, they that's... can. They can wow. write, but it's hard to read because they all wrote in cursive back then. It was beautiful. Oh, okay. Well. Right. So, <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So, the year's 1870, and Ned yeah. is 16. And Ned became friends with a guy named Harry Power, which, <laughs> hell yeah, Harry Power. Yeah. <laughs> so That's the what two... they call my bush. Oh, my God. <laughs> I fucking knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so the two robbed a man named Mr. McBean. <laughs> so what the hell his name? <laughs> you know, hell yeah, Mr. McBean. Yeah. So we got Harry Power robbing Mr. McBean. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, but Mr. McBean basically couldn't pick his attackers out of a lineup, right? Oh, yeah. I don't know why. Like, maybe he was drunk. I don't know. Um, but they're freed. Ned Kelly and, mm-hmm. and Harry Power are free to go. Uh, but shortly after this, Kelly's again charged with robbery. But this time, oh, it's armed robbery. And mm. the charges are dismissed due to lack of evidence. Yeah. And then Kelly gets arrested again. Spends a month locked up while prisoners hunt for evidence, or prosecutors hunt for evidence against him. They don't find any. Hmm. Kelly goes free again. So right? he's gotten lucky a number of times, yeah. Or, or they're just looking for anything. To get this guy on, right? I see. So, like, Mr. McBean might have been robbed, say, at night with, and, uh, you know, Harry Power and Ned Kelly were maybe wearing masks, right? They're like, they bring in all the usual suspects, including Ned Kelly, and Mr. McBean's like, nah, he's not here. And they're Mm. like, shit, we could have gotten Kelly that time, but he didn't pick him. Yeah. So, anyway. So, so, being a Kelly in the Outback is like being a black guy in Baltimore. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. And also, you gotta remember, they're of Irish descent. And there's right. some, there's a lot of bigotry there between the English and the Irish that just goes back centuries, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's probably, it's probably a combination that he's a Kelly, um, and that he's Irish. Yeah. Right. And he's an Irishman and, with his own land. So there's and that. And his dad was probably known too for being, you know, a criminal for stealing steak or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. family legacy. Yeah. Well, and, and that one was, you know, what the fuck? The, he has right. steak he can't explain. Like that doesn't mean he stole it. Like, like Yeah. So that's that's the that's what we're looking at here with Ned Kelly's background. He's not a good friend with the police, right? Right. Uh but it's to be uh, to be perfectly honest, Kelly is still actually committing some crimes. Sure. Uh, but all the cases that he's actually getting tried for are being dropped because of lack of evidence, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of a problem. Mm-hmm. Kelly was targeted for years. Uh this is and there was this particular sheriff, actually, who had a deep dislike for the Kellys. Okay. Um, so some historians actually think that uh, Kelly was being completely harassed by the police, while others think that Kelly had in- the Kellys had intimidated all the witnesses. There's some disagreement, but the point is, sure. it's a gray area. We don't really know. It was probably both. Right? Yeah. yeah they yeah, couldn't yeah. get him for the shit he did do, so they tried to get him for the shit he didn't do. Right? Yeah. Uh, when they needed a patsy to pin something on. Right. And then, 1870, something else crazy happens. Okay. Okay, so a hawker named McCormick accuses a friend of the Kellys named Ben Gould of stealing his horse. Oh. Um, and, right, uh, not sure if it happened or not. But sure. it still pissed Gould off. So, because mm-hmm. Gould was like, hey, I didn't steal your horse, and, you know, why would you, you know, but anyway. So he's a friend of Kelly's, right? So Gould yeah. responds to this, uh, to this accusation uh, of, of being a horse stealing no good outlaw 
by writing a rude letter to McCormick's childless wife about her being childless. Oh, God! And basically, this being because McCormick has no balls. That's what oh, he said. Oh, gosh. So, also included with the note, uh, Gould helpfully uh, packs away with the note a pair uh -huh. of calf's testicles to ameliorate oh, the God. problem. <laughs> and then he sends this to McCormick's wife. Wow. <laughs> Your husband has no balls. Here's some substitutes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, and then McCormick starts bitching to Ned Kelly about about Gould's uh, behavior. The ball was mm -hmm. McCormick, remember. Uh, yeah. And Gould is Ned Kelly's friend. Uh, and Ned responds to this by punching him in the face. Oh. So Kelly oh. was arrested for this and sentenced to six months hard labor for the incident. Wait, so punching someone's, someone gets you six months of hard labor? Yes. Same with stealing some... Well, not even stealing, but having some steak. Yes. <laughs> Justice is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, so... The good news is, though, Ned Kelly was released a month early. So only okay. five months, right, oh, of good. hard yeah. labor. Yeah. So it's, it's all right, right? Yeah. So he goes home, uh, mm -hmm. and on his way, he runs into this guy named Isaiah Wright, who had mm. lost his horse. Uh, and so he borrows another horse from Kelly in order to get home. And then he asked Kelly to keep his eyes open for his lost chestnut mare, right? Mm -hmm. You following? Yes. Isaiah, Isaiah writes, like, I lost my horse. Can I borrow yours? Kelly's like, sure. And then he says, Kelly, keep an eye out for my chestnut mare, right? Yeah. Kelly Reasonable. finds this horse almost immediately oh. um, and decides to take this horse out to a nearby town to show it off as his own. Yeah. Uh, oh, douche move. <laughs> yeah. He lets the mayor's daughter ride on it, though. Oh. <laughs> and this catches the eye of the local police, you know, so he's oh, not really doing himself any favors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and alcohol was probably involved. Uh, on probably. Some level. Anyway, so uh, <clears throat> on his way out of the town, some local constable stops Kelly under the pretense that he has some shit for him to sign down at the station. Right. So Kelly gets off the horse, uh, at which point the constable attempted to arrest Kelly for horse thieving, uh, which did not work, because remember, Kelly's a big strapping young lad, he just spent five months doing hard labor, yeah. probably muscular as fuck, and remember, yeah. when he was 15, it took multiple officers to bring him down, so this cop is making a big mistake, right? Yes. Uh, so Kelly fights back, of course, yelling that the horse wasn't stolen, right? It's not stolen! Mm -hmm. uh, and then he eventually beat the piss out of the officer so much that the officer drew his pistol and tried to shoot Kelly. Oh, wow. Well, okay. luckily for Kelly, the officer's gun misfired three times. <laughs> yeah, so thus disarmed, the police officer found himself completely overpowered by the mass of muscle known as Ned Kelly. So what's Kelly do? He jumps on the constable's back and rides him around like a horse, striking his back legs with his spurs. Oh, God! This is the most Australian man to ever exist. Yeah. I shit you not. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. needs to be their flag rather than their stupid-ass flag now. Oh, wow, I should not have said that. It's a great flag. Um, no, see, your problem is, be... with, is with New Zealand. It not really with is. Australia. No, I like Austra Australia. They're, yeah. they're good people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You've never been there. You've never met an Australian, have you? <laughs> oh, well, I, I assume that I have, maybe. Um, I mean, yes. I've certainly met their inbred, godless cousins, the New Zealanders, so... Oh, God. Yeah. I, I really hope we get some plays in New Zealand. <laughs> I don't think they have this technology there. Uh, you were going to say that. I, I think they just... I, I don't know what they do for their free time, but it probably involves sheep... And, uh, I don't know. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's probably sheep. it. Yep. Yeah. Lesson learned. Anything the New Zealanders are doing with their spare time involves sheep. Yeah, you don't know They probably know play what cards with the motherfuckers. <laughs> you know, like sheep poker night. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think you're giving too much to the New Zealanders. They're... That's a bad bet. <laughs> <laughs> Not even trying at this point. <laughs> no, no. So, okay. After he rides this guy around, this cop, right? Mm -hmm. uh, remember, he had, he had ridden around a horse that he had discovered that he yeah. was looking for and then you know, basically stole it for himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, just for a joy ride or whatever. Um, he was, he ended up getting sentenced to three years in prison. Oh God. Okay. Um, but only after escaping for three weeks, like he was on the line for three weeks and then they're like, okay, come on in. And he comes on in and they arrest him three weeks mm -hmm. or three years in prison. Um, in fact, okay. So here's the, the, the other thing. All right. So apparently the chestnut mare that Kelly had found and ridden into town, like his rich dad's Lambo was <laughs> not the chestnut mare he had been looking for. Oh no. In fact, Isaiah Wright had never lost a horse. Really? He made the whole thing up to get Kelly to go steal the fucker. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. So, right? And was Wright on the uh, the payroll of the police or something? I have Maybe? no idea. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. I'll do the computerized. You'll do the computerized I what? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I had, man. <laughs> okay, well, I'll do the computerized. That is okay. James openly admitting that he is not a bigot when it comes to robot sex. He will gladly do the computerized. <laughs> Hell yeah! There's nothing like metallic poon tank. <laughs> it's 2018, James. Do better. <laughs> oh, God. Man. Okay. Okay. So, for all this, right, uh, being yeah. f tricked into stealing this horse, uh, Ned is sentenced to three years of hard labor for the charge of feloniously receiving a horse. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Uh, and Kelly was subject to some brutal treatment by his arresting officer, uh, who pistol-whipped him so much that he had nine stitches. Oh, right? God. So, uh, Ned Kelly served all three years of his uh, sentence, but was released six months early for good behavior. Um, mm. So when I said he served all three years, I was lying. Um, okay, well, he served two and a half years. Uh, but he can't just let Isaiah Wright get away with tricking him out of three years of his goddamn life, right? right. So yeah, Ned right. challenges Wright to a bare knuckled boxing match with Wright. Okay. Right. So yeah. Ned, Ned was nineteen at this time. Uh, his photos make him look like he was goddamn thirty-five. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so they do this bare knuckled boxing match. So Isaiah uh -huh. Wright agrees to it, and they go for twenty rounds. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. And wow. Yeah, so Ned Kelly wins, right? Mm -hmm. And after this, Isaiah Wright becomes one of Ned's best friends. For some reason, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it, not at all. Nothing surprises me about this story so far. Yeah. Anymore, I should say. It surprised me at first, but when, when I was researching, researching it, but it goes, like, absolutely off the fucking chain, man. Mm -hmm. Just, this is nothing. This oh, is no. This is absolutely nothing. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, and for any Australians listening, you probably already know this story. Like... Because he's a huge cultural icon. But anyway, so we'll get I there. I bet, yeah. We'll get there. So, um, he, he exacted three years of revenge in 20 rounds of boxing. Mm -hmm. uh, and Ned is declared the boxing champion of his district. Wow. Yeah, so the same month, Ned's mom, who is 42, marries a 24-year-old Californian dude named George King. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the two would later become allies in good old-fashioned cattle wrestling. <laughs> nice. Okay. So I've got one more story before we end Ned Kelly's early life. Sure. All right, so it's 1877, late Good September. Year. Kelly gets fucking wasted. And Great. he's riding his horse under the influence, <laughs> so he's just swerving all over the place. You know, like he was driving a car. He's yeah. swerving. And then his animal leaves the main road and veers over onto the dirt sidewalk. 
Okay. This is, of course, the 1877 equivalent of driving your car up over the curb in modern times. Yeah. So Kelly's arrested for the night to sleep off the booze. Uh, and the next morning, he's being extor extor uh, ah, extorted, <laughs> maybe, uh, escorted by <laughs> officers out of the drunk tank. Uh, and he just fucking bolts and hides in the 1877 equivalent of a Nike store. <laughs> so a Nike store. Yeah, so he's in a shoe store. Uh-huh. Right, so the cops chase yeah. him down, right? The fuzz and the shop owner are trying to get this out of control, probably hungover, I mean, definitely hungover, probably still drunk Ned Kelly. <laughs> They're trying to bring him down. They start fighting, and at some point, Ned's trousers get ripped off. Oh, great. <laughs> so the obvious thing to do, yeah. <laughs> thinks Irishman and Constable Thomas Lonigan, oh, is to no. grab, Ned, grab Ned Kelly by the fucking balls oh, and squeeze the man into submission. That's horrible. It works, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, but no sooner does Constable Thomas Lonigan grab Ned Kelly by the balls than the local miller walks in and everyone freezes with a record scratch. <laughs> yep. So just imagine this. All right, you got this miller. Yeah. And he's coming in and he's there are four police officers and a shoemaker all trying to restrain this hungover, maybe still drunk Australian cattle rustler. Yeah. Who's been pantsed. And one of the <laughs> one of the officers has this hungover Australian cattle rustler literally by the balls. Oh, and there were no reports of whether or not Ned was wearing anything underneath his trousers, by the way. Probably okay. wasn't. Probably <laughs> <So> not. <laughs> what does this Miller say upon seeing all of this bullshit? Oh. You should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> they should. And they are. They <laughs> fucking are. Even Kelly's ashamed. So he admits, uh, he submits, and is fined for drunkenness and assaulting the police. Oh, gosh. I know. Can you believe that? That's crazy. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. So yeah. <laughs> after this bullshit, Kelly only has one thing to say to Constable Thomas Lonigan. And there's a quote here. It says, uh -huh. quote, and I don't know if I can do an Australian accent this morning, but I'm going to try. Mm -hmm. Please do. Uh, well, Lonigan, I never shot a man yet. Oh, God. Uh, I never shot no. a man yet, but if I ever do, so help me God, you'll be the first. That was terrible. You sounded like Ray Comfort. I t God. <laughs> Ray Comfort. <laughs> Ow! Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, so he, this is a, this is a uh, promise of vengeance upon Constable Thomas Lonigan. Yeah, the uh, right? ball burglar. The <laughs> Uh, Constable, I don't know. <laughs> Constable, yeah. Okay, so that's enough of Ned Kelly. And now yeah, we need to that was quite a bit for uh, early life. So. I know, I know. But again, major cultural icon, this guy. So, like, right. we can get away with it, I think. Yeah, oh, for sure. But by yeah. the way, wait, wait. I hear a vacuum. Can you hear a vacuum? I can hear a vacuum. I say we take a break. Okay. Uh, save our records. And... Save uh... <laughs> Uh, something else. I, okay. I, can't, I don't know. Uh, fuck! Well, we are back. We talked about dead people. And... Yay! Yeah. <laughs> and when we left off, we had a vacuum running in the background. But now it is off, from what I can tell. We caught it, and we brought it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah! Oh, God. <laughs> Okay, so, mm, okay. I probably need another cup of coffee, but I'm not going to get it, because we need to talk about Trofim Lysenko's ad oh, adult early life, because... Early life? We're still in the early life we're section. We're still in the early life section, and we are, what, 40 minutes in? Sweet Jesus. God, this is going to be a long episode. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But that's okay. That is okay. So, James, yes. tell us about Trofim Lysenko's early life. 
Trophim Lysenko was born on September 29th, 1898, to a peasant family in the Ukraine. Uh oh. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, his mother's name was Oksana Lysenko, and his dad's name was Dennis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and his family owned a farm, and so growing up, Trofim helped around the farm and also developed a keen interest in botany. Like you do. Like you do, yeah. So upon reaching adulthood, Trofim decided that he wanted to go to the big city and the big school and learn all about plant stuff. Right! The bad news for this plan is that Trofim did not know how to read. Oh, that's a Oh, God, that's a problem. <laughs> the good news is that he learned. <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. He had to go to uh, so, school to learn to read. Yes, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so now Trofim can read. He likes plants, and he's off to college. Yay for Trofim. <laughs> yep. Uh, in 1921, Trofim attended the Uman School of Horticulture, and in 1925, he studied agronomy at the Kiev Agricultural Institute. Okay. So, our plant-loving Kami is ready for the future. Great. Is that all? Yeah. That is pretty much all I have for his early life. <laughs> I'm working too hard, James. <laughs> it's all, it's literally all it said. It was like, yeah, he couldn't read for a while, and he was a farmer, and his dad's name was Dennis. Wow. Uh. And I was like, okay, well, that's all I'll say then. <laughs> I'll take it. You know, hey, Ned Kelly was really long, um, yep. and uh, Ned Kelly was a long person. <laughs> we should start calling people, yeah. uh, calling tall people long people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, with that about Trofim Lysenko, it's probably time to move into Ned Kelly's adult life. And you'd better okay. you'd better get ready because this is Okay, so like when we left him, his testicles were being crushed by police brutality. Um right. that is actually a very apt metaphor for the lad's entire <laughs> life. Damn it. So uh we're gonna meet this guy. Alright. Hold on, I've got a I've got a text. Let me see. Let me see who this is. It's nobody. Alright, so we've got this guy. Alright, and his name is Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick. Okay. Okay. Pretty so, cool name. Uh Ned Kelly was known to be a horse thief, right? Like he's he makes his he basically sustains his family by selling stolen horses, right? Right. Uh, and that's just what he was up to at this point in the story. It's true. Um, he and his goofy friends who are supplying said stolen horses get themselves caught and arrested uh, this time. Mm -hmm. And these goofy friends roll on Kelly, far as I can tell, because a guy named oh, Constable Straken uh, somehow <laughs> figures out Ned Kelly's location. So Straken decides to go arrest him. Great. Uh, now, Constable Straken's town, Greta, has a lot of problems with crime. There's actually, like, a whole mob scene in Greta, right? Oh, geez, We're okay. not going to talk about that yeah. yet. It'll come up a little bit later, but there's it's pretty bad in Greta. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, there's no way this constable can go arrest Kelly without leaving someone behind to keep watch at the police station, because there's basically only two police officers. <laughs> okay, right? yeah. So who does he leave behind to keep watch? Um, I don't know. The Holy Spirit? <laughs> he left behind <laughs> Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick is our guy, and he promptly abandons Greta, and instead goes to a <laughs> pub in Winton, five miles away. Okay, so, there we go. So, Greta, you know, no constables at home, right? Yeah, good. <laughs> so, and the other, the Constable uh, Alexander Fitzpatrick is going to a bar. Um, mm -hmm. And while he's there, he remembers that a few days ago, he had seen an arrest warrant for Ned's brother, Dan Kelly, for horse thieving. 
Um, so possibly a little buzzed, actually definitely a little buzzed. Constable Alexander <laughs> Fitzpatrick decides to go out to the Kelly homestead to arrest Dan. Um, okay. So he goes. Not a smart move. <laughs> yeah. So he goes and he discovers that Dan is not home. Instead, it's just mm. Mrs. Kelly and some of the kids. So he strikes up a conversation for about an hour, and then he hears something that makes the <laughs> hair stand up on the back of his neck. He hears the sound of someone chopping wood. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he hears somebody chopping wood. And yeah. the question comes into Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick's head. Fitzpatrick's head Is yeah. this would-be lumberjack licensed? Oh, God. So he leaves the house to go and check the wood chopper for a wood chopping license. You know, important work. Uh, yeah. you know, abandoned his duty in Greta, where there's actual problems. Um, but he, no, right. you know, he can't let this stand. You know, nobody's allowed to, you know, like chop wood. I mean, it's not like that's how people heated their homes in the 1800s, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, you need a license to chop uh. wood, apparently. Um, mm -hmm. So, Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick approaches this chopper, who is named mm. William Williamson, I shit you not, and asks <laughs> if the man is licensed to chop that wood. Uh, okay. And then while he's doing this, he sees two horses approaching the Kelly homestead and abandons this holy crusade against unlicensed wood chopping. Right? What a piece of yeah, shit. Yeah, so it wasn't that important, you know. Uh, yeah. Lo and behold, one of the two riders returning from the bush is Dan Kelly, who is Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick's target. Yes, uh, right. And then Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick arrests him. However, uh. it's late in the day, and Dan asks Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick if he'd be allowed to have a little dinner before they hit the trail. And oh, Constable yeah. Alexander Fitzpatrick, being a decent man, says of course, and sits beside his prisoner for dinner. Oh, and eats great. dinner. So, yeah. probably staying for a free meal, right? Sure. So, yeah, yeah. anyway, during dinner uh, with Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick, either eating with the prisoner or not, we don't actually know, but I'm assuming yes, yes, definitely, um, mm -hmm. Ned Kelly comes barreling through the door and blasts Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick through his left arm with a shot from his revolver. Oh, God. Dan Kelly, okay. Ned Kelly, William Williamson, and another guy named Bill tackle Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick and beat him senseless. Oh, jeez. And when Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick comes to, Ned Kelly gives him a knife and tells him to dig the bullet out of his arm. Oh, jeez. He also demands that Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick not report any of this to his superior officer, and Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick promises not to tell anyone about anything that has happened, even though, you know, he's been shot through the arm. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so he leaves, gallops away, and goes and snitches on the Kellys. Oh, of course. Now, yeah. it's worth noting that this is the... Uh, is not uh, Ned Kelly's version of the story. Okay. So Ned Kelly right. claims that he was 200 miles away when all this went down, and that Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick had no arrest warrant, and also threatened Ned's mom by pulling a revolver and saying, I will blow your brains out if you interfere. Jeez. Dan then tricked Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick into thinking Ned was right behind him, then disarmed Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick and sent him away unharmed. Okay. All right. So yeah. that's another side so of the story. Th yeah. There's those two. Those two sides again. But there's also Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick's side. Okay. Um, which, <laughs> and there's also <laughs> Ned's sister's side. Um, okay. And it's all it's all very crazy. But I, I have mm -hmm. most people who really follow Ned Kelly are not fans of Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick. No sir. Sure. So okay. the story about his sister, by the way, uh, is that Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick made a pass at his sister <laughs> while he was there, oh. um, <laughs> and she hit him on the head with a shovel. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you know, her. it was one night, at least one person was drunk, we really don't know, right? Yes. So, whatever the case, all of, all of the, uh, all of the Mrs. Kelly, what the fuck? <laughs> what did I write here? I didn't write it. Okay, so whatever the case, Mrs. Right. Kelly, William Williamson, and that guy, Bill, were all charged with attempted murder in October of 1878. Oh, God, even the mob. Yeah, with all this, you know, s circling around, and the only person who they say did the shooting was Ned. Yeah. And, of course, Ned claimed he wasn't there. And mm -hmm. it also didn't help that Constable Alexander Fitzpat Fitzpatrick was brought before the court to report his story, and he was <laughs> drunk... So they couldn't even get him to remember how he got his wrist wound, right? Oh. He couldn't remember that Ned Kelly had shot him in the arm, right? Oh, yeah. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. They all get hard time, except for Ned, oh, who was not there. Uh, yeah. And the thing people responded to most strongly, however, was the imprisonment of Kelly's mother. Yes. She got yeah. three years of hard labor, even though one guy oh tried to pay her fine. They wouldn't let her. wouldn't let him pay the fine. Jeez. She was sent to prison for three years. To, you know, and doesn't she have like seven kids? Yeah, or something? she has se seven kids. Yeah, her husband is dead. Her husband's dead. Let's give her hard labor. Yeah, so that's what happened to her. Um, oh, God. So what became of Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick? He I don't know. Yeah, he was later fired uh, for being drunk on the job all the time, and also for perjury. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So wait. There's starting to be fewer uh, and fewer sides to this story. Yeah. So uh, Ned Kelly uh, and Dan Kelly, who are brothers, are now completely mm -hmm. aware that there's probably nothing they can do to convince the police that they haven't been the instigators of all this bullshit. Yeah. Uh, according yeah. to them, they've dealt with years of police picking on them and singling singling them out for stuff they didn't do. Uh, hmm. Of course, they're actually still doing crimes, but, you know, the police are t being too tough on them, right? So, <laughs> yeah. that's what they're saying. Which may be true, yeah. uh, but, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, guys, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so Ned and Dan decide to go on the lam with a couple of friends named Joe and Steve. And here's where things <laughs> nice. get really, really interesting. Uh, they already are uh, really I, interesting. I know, it's, this story is crazy. So, yeah. okay, according to court testimony by police officers, which you can go read online right now, they have photographic copies of the... Of the uh, actual court the documents records. right wow uh and it's awesome like you just scan like 1870 and then you have all these court wow. documents from that era uh, all recorded yeah it's really cool so anyway uh the police basically got word that the kelly gang and that's what they're calling them now uh the kelly gang was hiding out in what were called the wombat ranges <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go there yeah. wombat yeah. ranges so okay have you ever looked up pictures of baby wombats no should i do that now <laughs> You should do it right Baby now. I'm gonna do it as wombats. well. Okay. Do this oh! to listeners. It's... <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's the cutest thing you'll ever see. Oh my god. Yeah. We may right? have to stop the recording. Sweet Jesus. I, I think we need. No. We need a wombat. We, we need, we a, need baby a wombat. We should have. We should have made our mascot a wombat, not a damn cat. We really should have. Yeah. yeah. They're the pickle. cutest things. So adorable. Yeah. Okay, enough. Oh, enough. here's... <laughs> enough. All right. Uh. So they're at the Wombat Ranges. The police know about it. Kelly Gang's in trouble, oh. right? Yeah. So it's 1878, October, right? Uh, and the two mm -hmm. bands... Uh, and two bands of cops are secretly sent out to close in around the Kelly Gang. They were all dressed Yikes. in civilian clothing. So there's that. Mm -hmm. And we come across our man, Constable Thomas Lonigan again. That's the man who grabbed oh, Ned that... Kelly's balls. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he's on the hunt, too. Uh, mm -hmm. So the cops set up camp in the woods near Stringy Bark Creek to plan their next move. Okay. And the next morning, and by the way, they, this is again all in court testimony. They, their their words 
written down. So this is what they're wow. saying. Yeah. So the next morning, uh, the cops, Kennedy, McIntyre, Scanlon, and Constable Thomas Lonigan all decide to split up. Kennedy Great. and Scanlon head up the creek and have a look around to see what they can find. Uh, and McIntyre stays behind with Lonigan. Uh, hmm. Lonigan starts to get ready to make some grub, and McIntyre heads off and kills a couple parrots with a shotgun. I don't know why. <laughs> why? <laughs> That's horrible. That's what he said. It's like in his testimony. Yeah, so I went off to kill some parrots with my shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. That that's imperialism in one okay, sentence. Yeah, so. Colonialism, I mean. So, but well, same same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he goes off and shoots two parrots. Um and then Ned <laughs> Kelly hears the shots. <laughs> so he and his gang dig in. They know the police are nearby. Uh yeah. and at dinner time, McIntyre and Lonigan had just finished up cooking and were making tea when Kelly shouts out of the forest, Bail up, throw up your arms. <laughs> Uh, they did as commanded, and Ned Kelly took McIntyre's bird-killing weapon, uh, but Lonigan bolted behind a tree, and remember, Lonigan's the ball grabber, uh, yeah. and he grabbed for his revolver, and the gun, not the other thing, uh, and then oh. Kelly shot him through the fucking head before he could get two steps. Wow. Lesson learned, don't grab Ned Kelly by the balls, and don't grab yeah. for your pistol when you're under gunpoint, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, and didn't Kelly tell him that he would be the first guy to die if he ever did kill someone? Yep. Okay, yep. there we so, go. So, Constable Tom Thomas Lonigan's last words were, Oh Christ, I am shot. <laughs> <laughs> At this, Kelly reportedly quipped, What a pity, what made the fool run? Oh, jeez. So, this needs to be a movie. Uh, it is, actually. Oh, it There's is? There's two of them. Oh, yeah, okay. we'll get to that later. But anyway, so okay, good. Uh, Kelly searched McIntyre and then let him put his hands down. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's this dead Constable Thomas Lonigan nearby, and they're like trying to figure out what to do next. Uh, yeah. Kelly and his gang decided to loot the camp, uh, and it was clear good. that Kelly knew exactly how many cops were in the woods. Somehow, um, he demanded of McIntyre to know where the other two were, uh, and huh. said he would kill him if he lied. Oh, so McIntyre told Kelly where they were and begged for their lives. Uh, he also asked yeah. if he was going to be shot, and Ned said. No, why would I want to shoot you? Uh, this is a quote from court documents. No, what I, why would I want to shoot you? Could I have, could I not have done it a half an hour ago if I had wanted? Hmm. So he's not wanting to kill anybody. I kind of like that, um, yeah. So anyway, so Ned then said he wouldn't shoot anyone who held up his hands. Um, and uh, regarding uh, regarding the other officers in the forest. So if they come in and, you know, Kelly puts up his pistol Surrender. and put their hands up, like, he won't kill them. But if they make yeah. a move or try to run or anything, he's going to shoot them. Right. Yeah. So McIntyre also wanted to know. He wanted to know if Ned would keep his word, and Ned mm -hmm. is quoted as saying, "You can depend on us," which mm. is kind of funny. Cool. So yeah. uh, Kelly then made it clear that Constable Alexander P Fitzpatrick was to blame for all of this. Right. Yes. He complained <laughs> about his mother's harsh sen sentence for nothing at all. He then told McIntyre that he should quit the force, which McIntyre was like, "Yeah, okay, s since we're friends and you asked, I, I will." <laughs> um, so okay. suddenly there was the sound of approaching horses amidst all of <laughs> Kelly's rantings about, you know, his bad experience with police. Um, and uh, yeah. Kennedy, so Kennedy and Scanlon are coming back from from down downriver. Uh, uh -huh. The four gang members hid, and Ned forced McIntyre to sit on a log. <laughs> so, mind, yeah. he said, I have a rifle for you uh, if you give any alarm. So, he's at gunpoint still. Got it, still. yeah. So, Kennedy and Scanlon rode into the camp. McIntyre got up from his log, approached the two, and said, Sergeant, I think you'd better dismount and surrender, as you are surrounded. Then oh. Kelly yelled, put up your hands! I don't know why he sounds wow. like that now. So, yeah. at this, uh, something kind of funny happens. Uh, Kennedy starts laughing. 
Oh, right, God. so he thought it was a joke, uh, and that yeah. and Lonigan was like posing in the woods as Ned Kelly. Like okay. he was the, like yeah. Lonigan was out in the woods, and you know Lonigan's dead in, on the forest floor just ne nearby. Yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, he leans back, rests his hand on his revolver, um, you know, laughing still. At which point, a shot rang out, and then he realized it was for real. Um, <laughs> so he jumped off his horse and threw down his weapon. But Scanlan yeah. was no pussy like Kennedy. So Scanlan yeah. tried to unsling his rifle, but it was too late. He was shot and killed instantly. Wow. Yeah, so things have gone from bad to worse, right? We've got two dead cops uh -huh. now. Uh, so in the confusion, McIntyre leapt onto Kennedy's abandoned horse and galloped down the creek. So McIntyre was the one who surrendered, and he jumped on the horse yep. and started escaping. He left the log. Yeah, he left the log. Um, and so they start shooting at him, but none of the bullets hit him. And McIntyre gallops through the woods for two miles before his horse is too exhausted to carry on. So he climbs into a wombat hole and waits until dark. I want to climb into a wombat <laughs> hole after seeing those pictures. Oh my god, yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds cozy. So he's hiding in this little cave. Um, mm -hmm. So when night fell, he walked for an hour completely barefoot in order to prevent unnecessary noise. Um, yeah. And he was using the stars as a guide. And he walked oh, 20 miles until he reached a farm in mid-afternoon the next day. Wow. Um, he then made his way to a police station and reported the murder of his fellow troopers. Yeah, and so two hours later, he's back in the field with a posse of seven. Um, this guy's kind of a badass, too. I, I know, I, I kind of like McIntyre. He's an interesting guy. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he's got a posse. All they have are two mm -hmm. rifles. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so then they arrive at, at the camp at two in the morning, hoping to get the drop on Kelly's gang. So mm -hmm. at this point, it's like McIntyre has been awake for, like, ever, and he's leading oh, this geez. charge. Um, but the Ke Kelly gang is gone, right? They burned and looted yeah. everything, according uh, to police. Uh, and had shot all of the bodies with their own weapons, mm. and they'd all shot it with their own weapons, each each of them, mm -hmm. uh, to all take the guilt for the murder onto themselves. Oh, wow. Ned denies Jeez. this ever happened, but that's what the police say. Hmm. Uh, the Kelly gang had also uh, shot and killed Kennedy, the guy who'd surrendered. So we don't oh, we don't cool. know if he tried to make a break for it or if they were just like, look, you witnessed a murder, you're going, whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, three dead cops now. Uh, so good. this is not good for the Kellys, exactly. So yeah. a reward goes out for 500 pounds, which is about 30,000 pounds today, which for our American mm. listeners is close to 25 grand. Um, the gang was declared an outlaw gang and shooting them on site was legal and rewarded whether you were a police officer or not. Oh God, you could also vigilantes. Get, yeah, yeah. So you could also get put away for 15 years if you helped them in any way. Right. Wow. So what's a gang to do? Uh, go big or go home? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Start robbing yeah. banks. That's what they do. They start mm. robbing banks. And it is crazy, their method. So we're going to get into okay. this, all right? Yeah. So in December uh, of that year, 1878, Kelly walks into the Gurum Gurum Gong Wall homestead. <laughs> yeah, what? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's his homestead in a town called Faithful's Creek. And mm. this this homestead is, is basically like a saloon, almost. Um, they announced their presence, asked for food for themselves and their horses. An employee, unfortunately named Fitzgerald, by the way, uh, uh. was having dinner. He stands up, gulps, and says, if the gentlemen want any refreshment, they must have it. <laughs> okay. So they were fed, and the Kelly gang then restrained their benefactors. Uh, but Ned assured them time and time again that they weren't going to hurt them. There was some guy mm -hmm. named Gloucester who came home and went into the kitchen where a stagehand told him that the Kelly gang was there. Gloucester laughed and said he wished they would, because he'd make an absolute killing if they actually were. <laughs> At this point, Ned Kelly steps into the room and says, What? 
<laughs> so Gloucester books it for his wagon to get his revolver. Um, yeah. But they get him at gunpoint and lock him in the storeroom under guard. Uh, the Kellys then stole some clean suits and Gloucester's revolver, offering to pay for it, by the way. Um, but Gloucester refuses to take their money. So, you know, that was probably a good move, though. Yeah. Uh, because you could get 15 years if you helped them. Right, right. And trade could be seen as help, I guess. Definitely, definitely. But for from what I yeah. could tell, for Gloucester, it was kind of like an honor thing. Like, I will not sell my revolver to a criminal, right? Ah, uh, yeah, sure. So anyway, the next day, Ke uh, the Kellys cut the telegraph wires and destroyed the poles uh, so they couldn't be easily repaired. They didn't want the mm -hmm. word getting out. And remember, sure. everyone's still being held hostage inside this inn. They closed it down, everything. Um, mm -hmm. And then... Let's see here. They took some more hostages, uh, and they were caught doing this, uh, and put them in the storeroom. So, like, I'm sorry. I messed that up. So they destroyed the telegraph wires and the poles, um, and they were caught doing it. So they took the people who caught them hostage as well and put them in the storeroom. Okay. Right? Yeah. Uh, then they went down to the bank, right? Because this is a mm -hmm. bank robbery after all. They're not just taking everyone <laughs> hostage. Right. So they go down right after it's closed. They demanded to be let inside. Were let inside... They oh, took God. all the gold, jewels, gold dust, silver notes, all of it. All right, mm -hmm. uh, and they were, and they weren't violent about it. That's the other thing. In oh, fact, good. they were so nice about the whole thing that the bank owner Scott invited the Kellys into his office for a glass of whiskey, <laughs> which they fucking did. Like they what? went and had whiskey with the owner of the bank they just robbed. See. This, I, I don't know why this reminds me of it, but it reminds me of Leif Tronsted. Remember when the Norwegian commandos are, are trying to blow the facility up, and then the guy's like, help me find my glasses? Right, there's so like these little, these yeah, little tinges like, of like, s subtle humanity. Basic humanity, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, but this is, this is gonna be a pattern, you'll see. Okay. So, then get this, they go back to the homestead, the, the inn thing, where their hostages are. Yeah. And have what is described as a pleasant evening. <laughs> they made dinner, all had tea together, and then the outlaws <laughs> asked the hostages to stay there for like three hours after the outlaws skipped town. Uh huh. Um, but they like had a nice time. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it was stories like this that got public opinion to shift to Kelly's side, right? Because right, yeah. he's not killing civilians. He's not being a brute for the most part. Um, no. He's just got a really bad thing for cops, right? Yeah, but I mean that's kind of understandable with his with his upbringing and the laws and the mm -hmm. punishments. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. And also, you know, the guys he shot besides the one hostage, which we don't know exactly what happened. You know, the one guy grabbed him by the balls. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like that's personal. <laughs> personal. Yeah. Um, and also, the guy was going for a pistol too. So there's that's that. That's true too. Yeah, yeah. All right. So after this, they leave the homestead, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so we're talking about the the public opinion. Uh, yeah. and so he's, he's getting positive feedback. People are like, wow, he didn't hurt anybody. Wow. He was really nice. Like they had whiskey with the bank owner. Right. Um, yeah. but, and the cops are like doing the absolute opposite. Okay. So the police start arresting a few of Kelly's friends just because they were his friends. Oh geez. Yeah. So, okay. and this gets out and the public just loses it and the cops get worried. Uh, so they release all of Kelly's friends after only a little while, right? So they're like, oh, yeah, we made a mistake. Yeah, you can't do that. You can't just release people for being, like, friends with this guy. Like, childhood friends with somebody. Yeah. Um, so they release them. About Good. 50 miles out into the Australian bush with no supplies what? and no idea where the hell they are. What the hell? Yeah, so, yep, that's that's a thing that happened. Mm. Uh, so shortly after this, the Kelly gang is spotted near Glen Rowan. 
Uh, according to sources, Ned was on his way to confront a man named Sullivan, who was apparently blabbing to the police about his whereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, so they find him in a place called Wagga Wagga, uh, <laughs> and then promptly lose him, uh-huh. uh, probably because he pulled a fruit cart out in front of them in a foot pursuit. <laughs> yep. um, and they kind of just gave up. Uh, and then they were like, hey, let's just rob another bank. So they go to this place called Geraldary. I think that's uh-huh. how you pronounce it. All um, these names are so great. Gerildery, Geraldary, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so the way they do this is like a lot like the last bank robbery. In that it isn't mm-hmm. exactly straightforward. So what they yeah. do is this. Ned, Dan, Hart, and Byrne, that's the names of the four, uh, yeah. surround the police station. Right, And inside were a pair of constables named Divine and Richards. Mm-hmm. And Divine's awake and on duty, and Richards is trying to get a little shut-eye and it's off time. And then sure. suddenly one of the Kelly's gang yells from the outside, Divine, there's a drunken man at Davidson's Hotel who has committed murder. Get up at once, all of you! So Richards and Divine immediately rush to the door to find out just what the hell's going on. They're like, what the yeah. fuck? It's the middle of the night. So Ned <laughs> right. wants to know if there are more than just two constables in the building. He's like, two officers? Is that all you got? This this yeah. drunken murderer, he's really tough. And yeah. they're, they're like, you know, yeah, there's only two of us. So Ned draws mm-hmm. two revolvers and levels <laughs> one at each of the constables. Uh-huh. And then the constables were then dragged into one of their own cells. And there's a complication. Sure. Okay. Which is that Divine's wife and kids are visiting. Oh, no. So they put them in captivity in the station rec room and let them all go to sleep. Oh, yeah. well, that's nice. So, yeah, so the Kellys then spend the night in the station. So, in Kelly's defense, he's not, he, like, recklessly murdering any cop. It's, no. It seems to just be the constables that he, he has a long history with. Right, this is why they call him the Robin Hood of Australia. Right. Okay. I was yeah. gonna. I was gonna ask you if he's a Robin Hood figure. Yeah, he's a Robin Hood yeah. figure. Also, other figure. We'll see. Um, okay. But anyway, so the next morning, however, like they spent the night in this police station. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this big problem because, boom, Miss Divine is in charge of preparing the nearby courthouse chapel for mass. Oh no! Right, and if she's absent, yeah. you know, the whole damn town will notice. Oh, um, so secret. They've secretly taken. They've secretly people. done all this, right? Okay. Yeah. So. She's so one of the gang members escorts her to the chapel to get it ready for mass, mm-hmm. and the gangster who went with her actually fucking helped. Oh, <laughs> it's kind of great. So nice. yeah. yeah. So the next day, uh, the Kelly gang took their hostage, Constable Richards, and went to get rooms at the nearby hotel. We're mm-hmm. back at another hotel, um, but get this: the hotel proprietor recognizes the Kellys, uh-huh. and he's like, "Constable Richards, you're like." You're with the Kellys right now. <laughs> like, oh, jeez. They, they yeah. don't know he's he's already a hostage, you know. Yeah. So Constable Richard, you know, already knows he's with the Kellys, right? Yeah. <laughs> so at this point, Ned just says, fuck it, and tells the innkeeper that they're robbing the bank and takes 60 people hostage. Oh, oh hey, wow. I, I got a call coming in. Okay. Uh, sorry about that, everybody. Trying to get a job, you know. Getting my contacts calling me, you know. Um, anyway, so we were talking about the uh, Kellys, right? Uh, the, yes. Uh, the Kellys. Uh, and they went to the hotel with Constable Richards, and the you know guy was like, "Hey, that's those are the Kellys." And it's like, well, you know, whatever. Yeah. So yeah. Kelly takes the uh, the innkeeper hostage. Okay. <laughs> and uh, sixty other people. Yeah. Who are in the inn, right? Right. So with that behind them, uh, I'm hearing like tapping. Sorry, that was me. Just a uh, earthquake. Okay. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> uh, all the wires were on my coffee, so I had to move the wires from my microphone. <laughs> That's the weirdest euphemism for jacking off I've ever heard. Well, it's what I'm into. <laughs> all right, so then, okay, so they take the in, 
It's it's a tale as old as time, and it's a, it's like history's on repeat because they've got the inn hostage, and they're like, we're gonna go rob the bank, and we'll be back a little bit later. Yeah. All right. So one of the gang members, Byrne, walks into the bank's back door and flashes a revolver at some accountant. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The accountant is like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. Apparently, he developed a stutter after this that never left him oh, because geez. of the shock. Yeah. Um. So he brings him to the front of the bank where, uh oh, Ned Kelly and Dan Kelly have already taken the bank manager hostage. Wow. Right? They order them to open the vault, so he does, and they lock the entire bank staff in the vault. Uh huh. Note: I did not say they took anything. So they didn't steal? <laughs> no, they didn't steal okay. anything yet. Yeah. Uh, so. Instead of doing the robbery right away, they go back to the inn and get, then go to other inns and start and just have drinks with everybody. Like, <laughs> wow. Just, you know, trolling around. It's yeah. hilarious. So uh, sometime after this, actually, Ned also made a trip to a printing office in town because he wanted to get a journalist to write up his life story and print it. <laughs> okay. And this is actually a pretty big deal because Ned had actually been writing down... Um, his life story up to this point. It's called the Gerald Airy letter. Yeah. Um, and he wanted this this printer to print it, basically. And, yeah. and fix the spelling and everything. Sure. Um, but the journalist was like, you know, you're Ned Kelly! So he <laughs> freaks out, barrels out of the building, and sits in a nearby creek. <laughs> okay. I'm not making this nice. up. Nice. <laughs> Great. Well, just sit in a creek. Just sit up in a creek. Up creek without a paddle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, without a boat? Yeah, I don't know. Unless you count your ass as a boat, I don't think you do. But <laughs> it depends how big. Never mind. So then they stole the uh, Kelly stole the police horses, cut the telegram wires, you know, again, yeah. and headed off at about seven p.m. with no one in town able to pursue them. Yeah. Before long, though, they came back because like they forgot they still needed to rob the bank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they do well, and make off with over two thousand pounds. I mean, they had been drinking with everyone, so it's there's true. that. Yeah. It's true, and and the whole sequence of events is like completely. You know, I have no idea what the fuck is going on. Like. It, yeah. it wasn't easy to figure out the the order of events. So okay, anyway, yeah. maybe they maybe they robbed and then left and didn't actually leave and then come back. But the way I read it, it was they left and then came back. Sure. Um, yeah. So before they they left the town, Kelly went to the inn uh, that where all the people were captured. Yeah. And he delivered a short speech to the people that he had captured about how he was innocent of any crime except for the time he stole three hundred horses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. He then explained why he was so pissed off with the law and decided to kill Constable Richards. Remember Constable Richards? Yeah. Um, but then everyone's like, that is a terrible idea, so Ned doesn't do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's possible he was drunk and just... Yeah. You know, so anyway, the gang leaves town, word gets out, and the price on the gang's head doubles, right? Jeez, yeah. So then something crazy happens. Okay. <laughs> In 1880, some legal thing expires. That is a gross oversimplification. It's called the Felons Apprehension Act of 1878. Okay. But the point is, it basically expires due to politics. Right. <laughs> and this technically makes Byrne and Hart, two members of the Kelly gang, free men. Forget oh. the bank robberies, forget everything. Um, but they still end up riding with Kelly because of loyalty reasons. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. there's this guy named Aaron Sherritt, and mm -hmm. he's he's a former mobster turned informant. Yeah. And he was part of a stupid mob, uh, because their signature, and I call it stupid, because their signature was to wear pork pie hats with straps. Oh. <laughs> and, and, as a show of gang inclusion, they strapped those straps... Under their nostrils. <laughs> okay. Actually, there's a picture of Aaron Sherritt, all oh. suited up and ready to go. Okay. Right there in the Google Doc. Go have a look. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, so that was their signature. 
Um, Australia, mate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this this guy's an informant. And obviously mm -hmm. he's got to go because he has connections that are giving him updates on the Kelly gang, which he's yeah. giving to the police. Um, so he's in this place called Woolshed Valley. And so they uh -huh. go to Woolshed Valley and they kidnap one of Sherrod's neighbors, Anton mm. Weeks. Uh, and they compel him to get, to help him. I just remembered the funniest part of this story. Sorry. Okay. They compel him to help them get Sherrod, right? Yeah. So they send him to Sherrod's back door, force him to knock, and Anton Weeks says, It is me! I have lost my way! <laughs> so okay. Sherrod's wife opens the door. Aaron Sherrod steps out and says, You must be drunk, Anton. You know it's over that way. And he starts laughing and pointing for Anton to find his way home. Yeah. Um, and then Anton backs into the shadows. At which point Anton steps out uh, and says, or Not Anton, but Aaron uh, uh -huh. steps out says, Who's that? Um, and before... Like getting shot straight through the jugular. Oh God! Yeah. So Sherrod stumbles back into the house, presumably gurgling and spraying blood everywhere in front of his whole fucking family, mind you. Yeah. And takes another bullet to the chest, collapsing on the floor and dying in minutes. Oh God! But this shit isn't over because this is Australia, man. Yeah. So for some reason, Barry Sherrod, Aaron Sherrod's mother-in-law, has oh. approximately four policemen hiding under her bed. Wait. <laughs> Yes. Wait, what? They're hiding under the bed in the next room. <laughs> okay. So these constables are stirred by the sound of the shooting, and their attempt, and in their attempt to get out from under the bed during the action, they make uh -huh. a shit ton of noise. <laughs> <laughs> so you can just imagine, like, all these Australian voices, like, squabbling underneath yeah. this bed. You know, yeah. nightsticks coming out of the cloud of smoke or whatever. The, yep. <laughs> the Tasmanian devil thing. But anyway, so um, they make a bunch of noise. So Byrne hears them. Uh, mm -hmm. even though he just fired two shots, which is a miracle anyway. Yeah. Um, and he yells for Barry to go get whoever's hiding in the bedroom to come out slowly. Hmm. Byrne makes Barry come outside, um, and sends Sherrett's now widow into the bedroom. I'm sorry, he asked his widow, his wife, Sherrett's wife, to go get the cops. And uh -huh. then he brings the mother-in-law outside because, you know, because of reasons. Yeah. Um, so... Aaron Sherritt's wife goes into the bedroom to get the cops to leave, right? Yeah. And so she goes in, and they just yank her under the bed with them. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan, Kelly, and Byrne go into the house, yell for all the women to leave, and then start firing at will through the wall of the house into the bedroom. Oh. They then told the constables they were going to burn the building down, didn't, and left. <laughs> okay. And so... The four constables then got out from under the bed, went into the streets, and tried to get a Chinese immigrant and a school inspector to raise the alarm. What? And they were like, I <laughs> know, they were like, fuck no. <laughs> so the constable has to walk his ass into town to raise the alarm himself. Um, but nothing fucking happens after what? that. What is they just, happening? They just get away. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> this is Australia, dude. Yeah. So the gang gets on the move again and goes to Glen Rowan. Mm. Uh, and that is where we will leave Ned Kelly for now. And when we come back, we'll be talking about his end and death. Jesus. I know, right there. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Okay. So, I think I'm all breaked out. I think we should just keep going. I, I think so, too. Uh, hell yeah. All right, so, James, tell us about like, Trofim Lysenko's adult life. Yeah, well, this is going to be a completely different story. That's fine. Uh, in the way that we talk about dead people does things. <laughs> yeah. This is our signature. Yes. Yep. Yeah, so, uh, okay, yeah, let's get into this. <laughs> yes, when we last left Trofim Lysenko, he was studying the interesting world of plants and was uh. eager to join that fast-moving and exciting world. <laughs> 
allowance. It's just dripping with sarcasm. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. No, uh, it's good. Yeah. It's good. It's good. So while in school, Trofim spent some time working in Azerbaijan at an agricultural experiment station. Good. Uh, and it was here where Trofim became very interested in turning winter wheat into spring wheat. Okay. And before we start breaking down whatever seasonal grain is, we need to learn about a certain event that was happening throughout the Soviet Union at about this time. Oh? Famine! (laughs) (laughs) What year was this about? Uh, Well, I'm going to kind of go over the whole history of the Soviet Union. Wait, we already did that. No, I'm just well, go it's going to be really quick. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, you're good. Okay, so remember that communists generally don't like privatized production, right? Right. So they're all about common ownership, pretty much. Well, okay. this includes the agricultural industry. Okay. So when the Communist Party took over Russia in 1917, they had their hands full on trying to hold together a fragile and desolate Russian empire. Right. But as the years passed by and the communists better established themselves, they started spending more time trying to be more communist. Classic. Uh, Also, this is bad news for our friends, the Kulaks. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I should not be laughing. Uh, You should not be. This is tragic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you've probably heard Aaron and I mention the word kulak before on this show. I uh, I think we mentioned it briefly in our, our Mao episode, mm-hmm. uh, I think. But anyway, here's a brief definition of what a kulak is. Uh, so you've got your peasant farmers in the Soviet Union, Union right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <Okay>. You're good? <laughs> okay. Well, that class is broken down into three subclasses. Okay. Mm. You have your bedyak peasants, who are basically dirt poor. Uh, okay. Think your cousins in Arkansas, who still don't know about the internet. <laughs> Secondly, you've got your sarinyak peasants, <laughs> who are doing a little bit better. Think suburban trash. <laughs> okay. And finally, you have your Kulak peasants, who are basically the richest peasants, but still peasants, so really not that rich. Right. (laughs) Uh, Basically, if you had enough resources to hire help for around the farm, or you owned land, you were considered a Kulak, because there's that whole private ownership thing again. Right. Not good. No. Uh, But here's the thing. The term Kulak was so loose that really no peasant was safe. Really? Uh, and historian Robert Conquest, which is the ba- most badass historian name, by the way. Uh, it's Robert perfectly appropriate, Conquest. too. Yeah. Rob Conquest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So he uh, described this as, with the following quote that I liked. Okay. Thereafter, a Marxist conception of class struggle led to an almost totally imaginary class categorization being inflicted in the villages, where peasants with a couple of cows or five or six acres more than their neighbors were now being labeled kulaks, and a class war against them declared. Wow. Yeah, well put. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. So, anyway, I kind of, I had to make a note here, because I find this interesting, um... Because the difference between the conceived richer classes and perceived lower classes is really not that much, but they're being played by the government against each other. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Yeah. Yeah, because look, you only have a few more cows than some other guy, but that makes you rich, and yeah. now you're the enemy. Yeah, and the, and somebody comes along and says, um, you know, hey, look at your neighbor over there. He's got two cows. You think he earned those? Yeah, right. He didn't earn those. He stole them from you. And you're like... Well, you know, I've got 10 grains of rice today, so things aren't that bad. And they're like, look at yourself, man. You're wasting away. Go get that cow. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. you know, now you have a good reason to go get a cow, I guess. Oh, and we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, anyway, uh, because some of the Kulaks owned things, many of them were understandably a little hesitant to join hands with the commies. Right. Uh, but the communists saw this act, along with the whole land ownership thing, as blatant acts against the people. Right. So the Kulaks are basically labeled as enemies to the Soviet people. Right, in, right, right. Yep. Uh, yeah. In 1918, Moscow sent soldiers all throughout the farm countryside of the Soviet Union in order to force the local populations to deliver certain amounts of grain quotas. Just like Mao! I can't say that. Do I have to pay a ticket now? You gotta pay a fucking ticket! Damn it! <laughs> and I'm gonna say I'm gonna say six months hard labor oh, in God. honor of Ned Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So we got these soldiers going through the land. They're like, "You gotta give us a, you gotta give us this amount of grain." And mm-hmm. the farmers are like, "We can't get that amount of grain." Yeah. Anyway. Right. So uh, those who refused to give the grain or were hesitant to do so were immediately labeled as kulaks. Right. So okay. now it doesn't even matter if you're a rich peasant. Now if you're just, you know, holding back grain, you're a kulak. Right. Okay. Yeah. Hoarding grain. <laughs> Fat as hell. <laughs> I remember this from the Mao episode. Yeah. It's basically the same thing it's in a lot of ways. It's the same shit. Different yeah. Day. Yeah. Uh, so Lenin was at this time trying to spread communist control over the countryside where it hadn't really taken on as fast as it did in the cities, which right. makes sense. Yep. Uh, in August of 1918, Lenin issued a telegram to his subordinates that stated, and this is an actual quote, Okay. Hang. Hang without fail so the people see. No fewer than 100 known kulaks. Rich men, blood suckers. Oh, God. Do it in such a way that for hundreds of kilometers around, people will see, tremble, no, shout. They are strangling and will strangle to death the bloodsucker kulaks. Sweet Jesus. Yeah. That's dark. Yeah, so it's not good to be a kulak in Soviet Russia in the 1920s. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that, everybody. Some technical difficulties. All right. Are we ready? But James, James was telling us about the kulaks. Cool. Yeah. Kulaks. Kulaks? Kulak. Kulaks or kulak? Kulak. I like kulak better. I don't know. I like kulak better because it's like it's like a cool octopus. He's a cool ock. I don't know. So do you like yaks or octopi better? Because that's uh, really it, the big question here. Fun fact. Uh-huh. Nope. It's not even a fun fact at all. <laughs> okay. Uh, octopi is not the correct pluralization of octopus is it is it not mm. no what it is, is it it is is it it not it not is is it a pod <laughs> or something like that yeah it's octopode octopod oh okay well i think so i'm pretty sure if i'm wrong i'm dumb if but, you say um, octopi you're gonna have to have to die <laughs> <laughs> accurate yeah okay so tell us more about the kulaks kulaks okay uh, like I was saying, it's not good to be a kulak in Soviet Russia in the 1920s. Right, because uh, Lenin had sent out that telegram basically saying, hang them! Yeah, well, not all of them, but we should hang enough that everyone knows it's not cool to be a kulak. Uh, okay. So at this point, you're basically at the mercy of the state. They'll let you... For a while, if you're a kulak, you're fine, but we might hang right. you every once in a while, just, you know, for fun. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, right. So in May 1929, kulak was officially defined, which I find hilarious in a terrible way, because right? this is a okay. decade of persecution later, we're finally defining who we're persecuting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this is horrible. Yeah. Okay. So now we okay. come to my favorite part of the show, which I like okay. to call, Is Aaron a fucking Kulak? What? <laughs> 
So I'm gonna ask okay. you. I'm gonna ask you some questions, and these questions okay. are the actual questions to figure out whether or not someone's a kulak. Yes. All right. So, okay. Aaron, do you use hired labor? Depends. I mean, if you're talking about like I bought a burger at Burger King, yes, I hired those people to make that burger for me, right? I guess you weren't so, necessarily the one hiring, though. That's true. But um, but yeah, I've hired people before for things. I hired Ian to do the art. That's true. Okay. okay. Well, okay. shit, you're a kulak, and we're on question Fuck. one. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, question number two. Do you own a mill or creamery? <laughs> Uh, yeah, baby. No, I know. <laughs> okay, well, you're, you're doing that. All right. Okay. Uh, do you rent out agricultural equipment or facilities? I've rented equipment before. Well, then you're... Not agricultural. You're a kulak. Okay. Oh, shit. Okay. But, but listen how vague that is. Do you rent out yeah. agricultural equipment? That means if I, I lend my, my neighbor a plow for, say, you know, 15 bucks a day, I'm a kulak. <laughs> okay. It's All right. just it's true. Yeah. And then the final is, do you trade or lend money to people? Yes, I do. Like, y yeah. yes. What the fuck yeah. does trade mean? And, you know, lending, it's like, okay, I give you five bucks to buy a hamburger. I'm thinking about burgers, I'm hungry, by the way. <laughs> yeah. You know, I give you five bucks to ha buy a hamburger, like, here you go, you know. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Does that count as lending? Yeah, I'd say or so. Or is that a gift? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so I'm like 90% Kulak. You're like Great. the ultra Kulak. I should be hanged right now. Yes. Yeah. I'll I'll do it myself. I'm in a closet after <laughs> oh, shit. <all. laughs> okay. Okay. So, so those were basically the questions to decide whether or not somebody was a kulak. Right. Uh, then in July of 1929, the Soviet Union began its de-kulakization program. <laughs> Just like yeah. Okay. In China. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and of course, our boy Joseph Stalin led the charge with the quote. Now we have the opportunity to carry out a resolute offensive against the Kulaks, break their resistance, eliminate them as a class, and replace their production. With what? Great <laughs> question. It's a great idea, Joseph, but what are you replacing them with? Exactly. Are you going to do it? <laughs> Joseph like a million just... Joseph Stalins <laughs> out in the field, hoeing away and planting seeds. Yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? Like, the, Maybe. The crop will be good this year, comrade. <laughs> Just the uh, but then they all get Joe. in a fight. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be a great, like... Remember the, that Canadian show, Heil, Honey, I'm Home? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That you could do one about Joseph Stalin called The Average Joe. <laughs> yeah, you should. Okay, that needs to be oh, a thing. That's my future. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, so... So, uh... <laughs> in uh, January... De Dekulakization, all right. So yeah. in January... Sorry. January of 1930, the Soviets began dissolving the class of kulaks, which is a class that is, number one, very difficult to define. Number yes. two, they're scattered all around the country. And number three, they produce most of the country's food. Right. But, but hey, they have three more cows than I do, and thus <laughs> they are enemies of the state! <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's the, that's the philosophy. It's well, about as deep as it goes. And, it, and it, it, it's interesting that you know, communism attacks all their economic systems by running on selfishness. Yeah, and like, well, communism is all about selflessness. But here they are saying like, if you feel attacked because you don't have as much as the kulaks, then uh, come on in. Which is basically selfishness. Yeah. It's just like reverse selfishness. It's selfishness masquerading as selflessness. Yeah, exactly. Being co-opted by selfish people, taking advantage of your 
you know, virtue signaled selflessness to give themselves selfish things. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it it's a weird tangle. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So, uh, so step one of getting rid of the kulaks was basically that all peasants, whether kulaks or not, were required to relinquish all privately owned farm animals to government authorities. Oh, that'll go well. Yeah. Well, a mm. lot of peasants didn't like this idea. Yeah. Uh, which what do you mean makes, you want my cow? Yeah, of <laughs> course. You've spent your whole life raising these animals, and now you're just supposed to give them over to the state. Yeah. Yeah, uh, okay. So instead of handing over the live animals, most peasants just decided to kill the animals for their meat, which seems cruel, and it is to the animals, I guess, but right. uh, again, it makes sense. They want to keep something of which they've right. put effort like, into. They gotta, they gotta eat, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, exactly. Um, so they kill most of their animals, and uh, they use the meat and leather to trade, which, again, makes them kulaks, because now they're trading. Right. But anyway, this is disastrous, because what resulted was, uh, in 1934, the Soviet Congress reported that 26.6 million cattle had been killed, and 63.4 oh, million sheep had been killed. Oh, no. And horses, pigs, and goats were also depleted on massive scales. So, oh, uh, not man. good for the overall agricultural health of the country. Yeah, because, uh, well, <clears throat> you got all these people slaughtering their animals, right? Yeah. Because if they don't slaughter them, then they're going to be taken, right? Exactly. Who knows what will happen then? Yeah, well, and... Uh, so, so and, and then they can't breed. They can't have any more. Right, exactly. Right? So now population, the population level is going to drastically drop, not just from this event, but it'll take forever to grow back. Yeah. Um, with the ones that survived, which in my, if I had to guess, are the, uh, the smallest and sickliest ones. Probably, yeah. yeah. Well, and if you're, if you're a peasant out in the middle of nowhere, uh, Russia, you, you haven't been on the front lines of this, this communist revolution. You have no idea what's going on in the cities. And right. you've been fucked over by every Russian government since the dawn of time. So totally. So who is going to believe that giving up your animals to the state is for the betterment of the people? Like, yeah, none, well, of these, none of these peasants are. And a good number of them probably, I mean, think about the era, you know? It's not like, it's not like radio was popular with peasants right. then. yeah. I mean, it's not like they could, I mean, they probably heard stuff in the newspapers if they could read. <laughs> More than likely, what they know is almost nothing about what's going on in the cities, yeah. right? So somebody comes along and probably a good number of them were like, you're czarists. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Jeez, well, that's hard to think about. Yeah, and uh, the Russian Empire and Russia and communist Russia, in a lot of ways, they did the same thing to the peasants. Like, what does a government worker do? He takes my money and he takes my sons to fight in his wars. Like, the right. peasants aren't going to like whatever government is there. And yeah. So it's just a disaster from stage one. Right. Also, as a quick side note, this had me thinking about something. Um... So, I was raised by your classic Republican family, right? Fuck yeah! Yeah! And they, I was kind of raised with the idea that communism will never work because the people in charge are, uh, to put it in evangelical terms, they're sinful, right? So, sure. And we've seen this over and over and again, like Stalin and Mao and Lenin. They kind of fuck up the ideals of communism because they're terrible people. Yeah, uh, well, and it, it also might be that well, obviously, they didn't start as terrible people. Sure, but power corrupts um, or whatever. But power corrupts, and the more powerful you get, the bigger your little moves yeah. become, right? Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. But well, So what this 
what the story of killing the livestock kind of made me think was, you know, to have your perfect communist society, not only do you have to have like good leaders, which is probably impossible, but mm -hmm. all of all of the normal people, all of the proletariat, if you will, have to be one hundred percent on board in order for this revolution to come about, or you have to right. kill them. Well, right, exactly. Well, yeah. the, and the, the the top brass knew that. Oh, for sure. Like you can't have any, right? So yeah, you can't have any resistance at all. Yeah, and and then resistance becomes kind of foggy. They're like, well. They didn't exactly start an army to overthrow the communist government, but, you know, they did hoard the grain. Yep. And that's anti-state. So, you know what? The convenient thing to do? Make them dig their own shallow grave, shoot them, kick the body in, and then steal that grain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And, but that happened on a mass scale. I mean, and everywhere, so... Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get into to more of that. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, Interesting. Yeah, yeah and... Uh, We'll get more into the inefficiency of the Soviet Union government. Uh, mm. That's kind of like the motto of this story. <laughs> anyway, so we're still on the kulaks. We have to get rid of the kulaks, right? Right. So another step in completing the collectivism of agricultural or agriculture was grain, grain, grain. Okay. So the the Soviet government was artificially growing cities by forcing relocation and also rapidly increasing the size of the military. And this means that massive amounts of food were needed. Right. Uh, yeah. So, in the 1930s, grain quotas were made for villages and regions that they could never meet. Uh, mm -hmm. And it soon became this duel between farmers and government officials as to who could hide or find the grain more effectively. Uh, because if villages were able to meet the artificially high government grain quotas, uh, most likely this meant that the village would have nothing left over and would right. starve to death. Uh, great right. system. Yeah, good system. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, massive starvation in the countryside soon began as all of the grain was taken from the farmers uh, for the government and the city people, uh, which makes sense. Starve the people who make your food. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and got it. <laughs> yeah. Starve the people who make your food. That's the, yeah, that's the other motto of the episode. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, Karl Marx left that out of the, uh, the last few sentences of the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, also, as that gloriously named historian Robert Conquest says, uh, he quotes, When the snow melted, true starvation began. People had swollen faces and legs and stomachs. They could not contain their urine, and now they ate anything at all. They caught oh. mice, rats, sparrows, ants, earthworms. They ground up bones into flour and did the same with leather and shoe soles. Jesus Christ. So, the starvation in the early 30s, it just goes rampant all over the Soviet Union because they're trying to... Well, the government's trying to collectivize the uh, agricultural industry. Well, let me just pause there for a second. Yes. Because right now I'm pretty hungry. Uh -huh. right? I haven't had anything to eat today, <laughs> um, except for a cup of coffee, and I ate the mug, so you know, oh, it's well, not digested shit. well. Okay. But what I'm saying is, like, I don't know what starvation is, right? Yeah. I've never experienced it in my life, right? Mm -hmm. And so when somebody says, oh, you know, so many million people starved. Yeah. I go, okay, so they died. But that's not that's not quite correct. True. They didn't just die. Yeah. They suffered. Mm. And that's, oh, God. Ugh. It's not fun to think about. Yeah, it's a process. It's a yeah. execution oh, it's a process. process. Yeah. Go read about it. Go read about starvation and then sneer at those people who starve to death. It's not a joke. Yeah. yeah. 
Mm, yeah. So anyway, well, go ahead. Kind of on the starvation thing, to make matters worse, if you hid food, the secret police uh, would execute you or took you directly to the gulags. Right. And get this, if the secret police thought your body wasn't starved enough, they figured you were hiding food somewhere and were thus a kulak. What the fuck? Yeah, so now even the government realizes that, you know, all of our peasants are starving, but we'll use that as means to find the kulaks. So, okay, they, they confiscated as much as, the, as they could of the grain of the animals and what have you. And what did they do with them? Did they send them to the cities? Did they try to equally distribute them? Uh, they pretty much both, yeah. Um, wow. And, and this so the is, peasants are just like, have been robbed. Basically, yes. Wow. Uh, but okay. again, private ownership in a lot of ways is it's the opposite of true communism. So you're not really robbing them. That's not what you're they... Not, no, because it was... No. If you're a private owner, you're the one who's doing the robbing. You're robbing from the collective. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, the, what also is horrifying is as the peasants are suffering, and again, it's that process, they began turning on each other in order to unleash their hatred and suffering on somebody. Um, and as... As another historian explains, the arrests and deportations carried out by the police were often aided by locals who, and I have this quote, and it's horrifying. Um, God. Uh, so he says the, the police were aided by the locals who, quote, were all people who had known one another well and knew their victims, but in carrying out this task, they became dazed, stupefied. They would threaten people with guns as if they were under a spell, calling small children... Kulak bastards screaming bloodsuckers. They had sold themselves on the idea that so-called kulaks were pariahs, untouchables, vermin. They would not sit down at a parasite's table. The kulak child was loathsome. The young kulak girl was lower than a louse. Jesus. And I... So they're just... Again, they're throwing away... The, they're throwing around this term kulak. Even to their friends and neighbors and family... And Jesus they don't Christ. even know what a kulak really is because it's it, what is a kulak? Yeah, it's a vague Jesus. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of an equivalent in the Nazi episode we did. Uh, well, like socialist I mean, it was, or it was like you communist or you communist Jew. would be it. Yeah, and they would find some way to def like they had these these really loose definitions of what made per some person a Jew or an anti-revolution or yeah. a person or something like that. And it could be almost anything. So there was like this witch hunt that went on. Yeah. Even in Nazi Germany. Well, which is crazy. And I find it terrifying shit. because I've seen similar things done in the United States where you just, you label entire groups of people with one word and it, it, the word doesn't even mean anything at that point. But you're no. so riled and triggered by that word that you automatically turn on... Like, all those people are dead to you, in a way. Yeah. Like, fascist. Yeah, That's like fascist. Yep. Oh, so you're a fascist. Well, no, I'm not a fascist. Well, then why don't you think like I do? Yeah. Well, I don't agree with everything you're saying. Well, then you're a fascist. It's like, ugh, I've gotten that one. Oh, I've never had that here. one thrown at me personally. But, like, ick. I don't like hearing that shit. I know, um, yeah. Because I know what a real fascist is. I have done the reading. Yeah. It's not what you're saying I am, and that's not okay. Yes. So, not that I've ever been called a fascist, but probably will after this. I, well, <laughs> I, I have been called a fascist, and it's like, I hate neo-Nazism probably more than, than most people, because, again, like you said, we've studied it. Yeah, and, you know about it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and so 
Just so just because I didn't vote for some person, I won't say who, doesn't oh, automatically God. make me a fascist. <laughs> uh, well, we both know you you voted for Gary Johnson. Uh, I actually did not. <laughs> what? I didn't know. You didn't vote for the Libertarian. I didn't. No. Uh, I, it was a long time ago. That's a that's a whole other rabbit trail. Fascist. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I know who you voted for. No, I, I Ralph Nader. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. I, if I would have voted, I would have voted for Papa Bear from the Berenstein Bears. Is it Berenstein or Berenstein? It's Berenstein. Oh, that's right, Berenstein. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so now that we've revealed ourselves to be the Nazis that we are, yeah. um, <laughs> the Kulak Nazi Bolsheviks, the Kulak Nazi Bolshevik <laughs> bastards, yeah. we're Bolsheviks, Menshevik, we're all of them. Yeah, we're Maoists, Leninists, Stalinists, everything, Johnsonists, Johnsonists. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So okay. So I want to I want to give another quick quote. Uh, so okay. Lev Kopelev. Uh, was this guy who lived through all of this and he later became totally disillusioned with the Soviet theory and he described the, his experience with the following quote it was excruciating to see and hear all of this and even worse to take part in it and I persuaded myself explained to myself I mustn't give in to pity we were realizing historical necessity we were performing our revolutionary duty we were obtaining grain for the socialist fatherland wow isn't that great yeah, what didn't we read something similar like that previously? I uh by someone else? Yeah. Yeah, so Yeah, Goebbels. It was Goebbels. Oh, it was. You're right. Yeah. He was saying he was saying mustn't give in to pity. Mustn't because the mess the I'm ushering in the golden age or whatever. Yeah, it's all for right? the greater good. It's all for the greater good. So if I have to shoot this person or let these this group starve or whatever, I'm you know, stiff upper lip. It's mm -hmm. what's got to be done, you know? It's like performing an amputation or something. Yeah. But not exactly. Well, and it's sort of wantonly performing an amputation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And well, and it, and it kind of reminds me of that infamous Joseph Stalin quote, where the death of one man is a tragedy, the death of a million men is a statistic. Yep. Exactly yeah. right. Anyway, so to wow. talk about <sighs> the magnitude of this. Um, yeah. So for several years, this whole this whole thing continued. Uh, the peasants starved to death while the kulaks, whoever the hell they were, were persecuted, killed, and imprisoned. Uh, this time period is usually called the Soviet Famine of 1932 to 33. And there are pictures from villages at this time where starved, dead villagers are just scattered all over the village streets. And, uh, and farmers who are still alive, but barely, are just coldly walking by. And it's I'm googling this. It's because horrific. I, I'm googling this because I want to know. Yeah, I want to know. Yes. I want to see it with my own eyes. Um, here's a picture of Jordan Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first image that comes up. Okay. Sweet Jesus. Okay. Uh, Dekulakization. I guess I I don't know how to search for this. Was it on the Wikipedia page or something? Yeah. Just Google Soviet famine. Okay, Soviet. I'm gonna famine. do the same. There's a picture of a fat farmer being punched by the fist of the state. Oh, sounds like propaganda. Yeah. Oh yeah, do Google. It is propaganda. Google. Oh my God. Yeah. If you. Holy shit. If you've seen pictures of Holocaust victims, it's they look the same. The the bodies of these people, just skin and bones. Yeah, horrific. 
And for me, I I knew that Stalin killed a lot of people with his purges, but I didn't really know anything about these mass famines. They look like skeletons. Yeah. They look like skeletons. This kid... Jesus it's horrific, Christ. yeah. Here's a picture of horses starved. Mm. It's like horse skeletons. Jeez. Wow. Oh, oh my god. And here's a cart full of bodies. I can't keep looking at this. Mm-hmm. This is horrible. Yeah. Go back to the wombat babies if you need something uplifting. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm gonna do that, wombat yep. babies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jesus. Alright, carry on. Sorry, I'm gonna look at some wombat babies. Okay, well, I'm gonna tell you how many people died. Uh, oh my god. So as for deaths, we really have no idea, because Soviet records weren't that great out in the countryside, and of course, the Soviet government totally minimized what numbers were released. Uh, right. But estimates usually range between 7 million and 9 million Soviet people died of starvation during this famine. Oh my god. So we're not talking about executions, or gulags, or the purges, this is just institutionalized famine. Ah. Oh. And of that, seven to nine, uh, the Ukraine was hit the hardest because it was basically the breadbasket of the Soviet Union. Right, right. And between three and five million Ukrainians were starved to death. Uh, so they were hit the hardest, although a lot of a lot of other people were too, obviously. Um, and as for the kulaks, again, we really have no idea how many were killed by the Soviet government, but estimates range all the way up to six million kulaks murdered. And this isn't starved, this is murdered. Uh, but numbers do get confusing because of the starvation numbers, too. Uh, Either way, millions were killed, and in the Great Purges of the late 1930s, kulaks were again one of the primary targets. I can't even believe that. I can't even believe it. Uh, It's ridiculous. And the thing that gets me the most is, and we we said this earlier, but what the fuck is a kulak? Like, the term is so loose... Anyone, like, if you own anything or don't support the state 110%, you're a fucking kulak. And say, well, even more than 110%. They want 150%. But it's literally impossible to give 150%. Yeah, exactly. And so you have to lie. Yeah. I I can't even... It's just so backwards. It's horrific. It's evil, yeah. Anyway. Evil's the word. Yeah. So what the hell does this have to do with Trofim Lysenko? Do you remember right. him? <laughs> right, I remember Trofim. All right. Okay, so that, that was kind of all just context, and I wanted to talk about something that most people don't really know about. Um, right, so basically, um, this is context for a guy who's going to be coming into, what, a ma- mass famine, mass starvation, yes. right? And is he going to try to solve the problem? Is that what he does? He is, because Trofim is a total, uh, total Leninist, and okay. uh, this is kind of at the beginning of Stalin. Okay. Um, Anyway, All right, so, so carry on. Yes, so uh, the Soviet government was desperate to reach out to anybody, unless you were a kulak, of course, to help and solve this crisis. Uh, because I mean, their food production is plummeting as all their right. farmers starve to death. So in 1927, Trofim was working in Azerbaijan, and he wrote a paper in 1928 on what's called vernalization. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, okay. and vernalization is. is a somewhat complicated sciencey thing, but basically, <laughs> it's this: if you expose certain plant seeds to exposed cold, they will flower and grow better when brought out of that cold environment. 
Oh, okay. Vernalization sounds like a much... Yeah. <laughs> After what we just <laughs> talked about, I'm like, oh, shit. Yes. <laughs> now it's just about seeds. It's basically okay. just putting uh, seeds in your freezer. <laughs> Glorious. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, basically, uh, that's kind of it. Like, if you freeze seeds, they'll flower better in the spring. Um, right. So, it's, winter is, of course, the natural freezing time period. But he was studying artificial freezing, blah, 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 blah. Right. Now, this process was already well-known in parts of the world. In fact, it had been around since the 1800s. But now it was a oh. Soviet who was talking about turning winter plants into spring plants artificially, uh, and thus growing better plants. Right, okay. And this, of course, caught the eye of Stalin, who was uh -oh. desperate... <laughs> well, he's desperate to find any solution to the famine, and he also kind of likes Trophim, because Trophim had started life as a peasant and had worked his way up, which Stalin right. and the communists were all about. Right, and, right. And, I mean, okay. Stalin had done the same. He was a peasant, too. Uh, but we'll cover... Right, right. We'll cover more of that on our episode on Joseph Stalin. <laughs> the, which... Well, I kind of feel like... The Hitler episode, which we will never do, yeah. um, will be paired with Stalin. <laughs> yes, and Jesus and Mohammed. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, four people. We'll hit all of them. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so Stalin basically adopts Trofim, uh, politically that is, and he made him okay. super important in the agricultural field of the Soviet Union, all because Trofim had written a paper on a farming process that had been around for decades. Okay. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so Trofim no. became senior specialist to the Ukrainian Institute of Selection <coughs> and Genetics. Okay. And then he became the scientific director and then the head director of the All-Union Selection and Genetics Institute at Odessa by the mid-1930s. So he's okay. basically like the head educator of agriculture and genetics in the Soviet right. Union because right. he put some seeds in the ice cream truck. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So as the Soviet Union continues to run into agricultural disasters, Trofim is there immediately to offer quick solutions. And he okay. was such a charismatic and confident guy that he was able to dazzle Stalin into pretty much believing anything he said. That is a good thing. That is a good weapon to have when you're working for Stalin, to be able to dazzle him. Yeah. I suppose until it catches up with you. Uh, oh, maybe. fuck. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, also, Trofim's supposed solutions had actually encouraged some of the Soviet farmers to go back to the fields. So, pro right. production did increase somewhat, and Stalin saw this as pure success on Trofim's accounts. Okay. So, basically, what happened is Trofim was like, hey, I've got some solutions that'll solve our crisis. And just him saying that caused a couple peasants to be like, oh, okay, it's going to get better. Let's go back out to the fields. So production did increase, but not because of any of Trophim's actual solutions. Okay. And we'll get into what those are in just a second. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, in addition, Trophim was spitting out various agricultural improvements so fast that critics didn't have enough time to actually study whether or not these solutions worked before the newspapers were singing Trophim's praises again for another new brilliant improvement. Well, you know, it's mass hysteria. I mean, people yeah. are starving like crazy. It's like some guy comes along and says, hey, I'm some scientist. I went to school and, you know, I'm the director or whatever. I'm Stalin likes me and I've got all the solutions. Yep. Of course, you're going to be like, you know, your stomach's growling and your children are dying and you're like, hooray. I've got to believe in something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, and Soviet propaganda just ate this all up, of course. Uh, of course. And like you said, Trofim was shown to be a brilliant scholar, but also was a, uh, the savior of the people <laughs> of the Soviet Union, and he would revolutionize Soviet agriculture forever. Right. Uh, and uh, we'll get to Trofim's scientific beliefs in a second, but needless to say, a lot of prominent Soviet scientists completely disagreed with him. Really? And we'll get into why in just a second. Uh, but in the 1940s and 50s, Trofim was basically in charge of all Soviet science. Let me say what that again. Trofim <laughs> was the sovereign lord of all Soviet science for several decades, and anything he said was law. What? Yeah, so... Yeah, it's just so backwards. Like, you're making one guy basically the, the prophet of science. Well, that's what they did with Stalin and Lenin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the same wow. fucking system. Oh, Christ. Okay. Uh, wow. Uh, that's... Uh, <laughs> that makes me think about cults again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. So, Jesus. Okay. Anyway, so... <laughs> In these decades, over 3,000 leading Soviet biology scientists were executed or imprisoned for disagreeing with Trofim's views. Oh my god. And Soviet propaganda... Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. Soviet... That's horrible. It is. They were just like, uh, I don't know about your your biology. Bang! <laughs> so, god damn it. Uh, and Soviet propaganda, of course, painted these scientific dissenters as capitalist, imperialist, and fascist biologists. They're also kulaks. Yeah, and kulaks. Yeah. Okay. Now I keep I keep switching between kulak and kulak, but I know kulak is my favorite. I, yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, it's because you know, it's cool the same. octopus. <laughs> it's a cool octopus. Yes. All right. Now, Trofim Lysenko, uh, his strongest scientific beliefs were eventually bundled up into the term Lysenkoism. <gasps> Lysenkoism? Yes. Named after him. <laughs> no. Uh, it, it refers mostly to genetics. Uh-huh. And mm -hmm. remember that this guy was... He studied botany, and now he's, like, the head honcho of genetics. <laughs> oh, my <Why>? God. Why? <laughs> oh, my God. So, Trofim basically based his genetic scientific beliefs on communist philosophy rather than, you know, science and evolution. Yeah. So, Trofim basically rejected natural selection and instead promoted the idea that species would practice what he called natural cooperation instead of natural selection. What the fuck? He, he said even creatures and plants that were of different species do practice natural cooperation in the wild world. Okay. So, uh, and this had consequences. One aspect of this theory being carried out is that Trophium encouraged farmers to plant seeds very close together in order to produce a greater crop yield. Oh my god, now, that's so stupid. Yeah, yeah, now dirty fascist capitalist kulak farmers, they know to plant seeds somewhat apart because otherwise the plants basically suffocate each other and die. Yeah. But now the enlightened Soviet farmers under Trofim's command put the plants basically on top of each other in the belief that the plants would grow and support each other in a brilliant display of natural cooperation. What the fuck? Great I, stuff. Yeah. Well, I don't there's like so much I want to say about that. It it's it's infuriating. It is. <laughs> and millions it's, it's, of it's, people are dying. I know. <laughs> Oh my god, okay, so he's not helping, he's making things worse. Yes, but again, before people can be like, hey, that really didn't work well, he's got a new solution, and people just eat it up. And and, and if you go, 
Hey, you know, I've been a farmer for 30 years. Don't plant the seeds close together. You could get shot. Oh, you're a fucking Kulak! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be another... I, I think that has to come back. That is gonna come back. As an Kulak insult bastard. to each other, yep. It's the Doppler effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> now, uh, as far as genetics go... Uh, and remember, oh, somehow, Trophim got his dirty little hands in genetics. <laughs> right. Uh, he completely rejected Mendelian <laughs> inheritance and the concept of the gene. Which, I don't know anything about genetics, but if you know anything about it, these two things form the core of modern genetic study. And Yes, because it works. Yeah, and he rejected it. Yes. It's, it's replicable in a scientific setting. It's in... <laughs> yeah, I know! <laughs> Okay, so basically what this boiled down to was that Trophime believed that organisms could pass down characteristics gained in its lifetime to mm. its genetic successor. Okay. So if we go back to the seed thing, if you freeze a seed in order to promote better growth in the spring, you won't have to freeze any of the seed's offspring because they will have learned that genetic trait. Uh, Which of course uh, is bullshit! What? <laughs> You're... <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm like flabbergasted by how anti-scientific this is. And you're gonna, yes, you're gonna have to freeze the rest of those goddamn seeds because genetics do not adapt that quickly. And they might not even adapt in that way. Yeah, it, it's so bad. It's just, wow. Mm. This is flat earth shit right here. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. Yeah, wow. Okay. And of course, many Soviet biologists completely disagreed with this idea, but they were either killed or sent to prison because of it. Of course. Yeah. As such, Trofim sent Soviet science, especially biology and genetics, back 50 years compared <sighs> to the Western world. Uh, also, crop yields decreased because of Trofim's beliefs. Interestingly, the only scientific field that Stalin kept from Trofim's control was nuclear physics because Stalin needed bombs. What? But I thought Trophim was like the king of science. He couldn't he make the better bomb, the bigger bomb? I, I don't know, but it's okay. uh, yeah. One historian was saying like Stalin may have been mad, but he wasn't stupid. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I don't know. Maybe I mean, and who knows? Maybe Stalin wanted this incompetent <laughs> scientific douchebag in charge. Maybe he did. I, I don't know why he would. I, I don't know. I, but either. I don't know anything. I don't know much much about Stalin to be honest. Oh. So I don't know. Yeah. He's horrible. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay. so other things that Trophim promoted, uh, promoted in the Soviet scientific community, which is an oxymoron at this point, right? Uh, Soviet science. Yeah. So he he promoted things like uh, leaves should be plucked off of cotton plants in order to increase yield. Okay. Which, if you know anything about photosynthesis. <laughs> Right. Plants need leaves. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. Uh, he also said that trees should be closely planted together in clusters in order to encourage natural cooperations. Or cooperation. Oh no! Yep. Okay. He also said that if you treat cows well, they'll produce more milk rather than genetics, which may, it decides Maybe. how much they... They produce. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so what this? I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like if you if you treat a cow well and feed it more, I don't know. I, I feel like that. Produce, yeah. But he's saying it would do more than just its genetic yeah. predisposition to make a lot of milk. Yes. And okay, what this was in practice is that the people who followed Trophim's uh, scientific beliefs, they became like notorious for treating all of their animals super well, <laughs> which wow. I guess is a good thing. <laughs> um. Yes. In the face of the other mad things that are, is going on, it's like, 
the path of least resistance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, he also said that uh, if wheat plants were raised in the right environment, they would produce rye instead of wheat. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. What? What? Wait. Yes. There's no way. No. That sounds made up. It's not, though. Yeah. What? Because, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. if, well, that's perfectly in line with, with certain doctrines of the day. Like, it's all the environment. It's everybody else's fault that you're what you are. Sure. Instead of taking into account genetics as well. I guess, yeah. That's, because if that's the idea, then of course you would say if you, you know, put wheat in the right environment. It'll tur- it could turn into something else, but you know they've it's been wheat's been oppressed in the fields for so long, <laughs> yeah. You know that it's always turned into wheat. But man, can you imagine if that wheat was you know I don't know planted really close together in you know in the and fed to the cows blood of <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, all, right. uh, all of Troyfim's beliefs have since been labeled Lysenkoism, which if you haven't gathered is. Still today, it's considered an insult in the modern scientific community. Wow. Uh, although there are still some pockets out there that, that practice what's called neo-Lysenkoism. Wow. Fun. Yeah. So it's like alternative science. It, what, say that again? Alternative science or alternative medicine? It's or like alternative... pseudoscience in a way, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And people still buy it, I bet, because people still buy essential oils. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, mm-hmm. so after Stalin's death in 1953, Trofim was able to retain his monopoly on the Soviet scientific field for some time, but it eventually changed. Uh, Khrushchev brought back some scientists from the gulags, and he also encouraged some scientific dissent. Okay. So about 10 years later, in 1962, three of the most prominent Soviet physicists of the time came together and presented a case against Trofim, calling all of his work pseudoscience. Those brave boys. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Wow. Uh, And they also said that Trofim's use of political power to silence opposition was basically the exact opposite of what the scientific method should be. Yes. Yes. Uh, Uh, and, wow. and then two years later, Soviet physicist Andrei Sakharov uh, spoke out against uh, Trofim at the General Assembly of the Russian Academy of Sciences, and he said, Trofim is responsible for the shameful backwardness of Soviet biology and of genetics in particular, for the dissemination of pseudoscientific views, for adventurism, for the degradation of learning, and for the defamation, firing, arrest, even death of many genuine scientists. Okay, so he's not wrong. No, it kind of sums it up. So I gotta know what happened to him after this. Well, yeah... Uh, so finally, in 1964, uh, the Academy of Sciences declared that Trofim's monopoly on the Soviet scientific field and his immunity to scrutiny were officially over. Uh, and almost overnight, Trofim went from being a hero and a scientific genius in the Union to a total outcast and hated figure. Uh, and that's where we'll leave him for now, I guess. Wow. Whoa. And it's kind of, it's crazy. There's not much on him, which uh, which we'll talk about a little later, but the Soviet Union was so embarrassed about him, like, after after he was removed. Because how could you not? <laughs> yeah, well, <clears throat> it seems like a lot of the moves in the Soviet Union were driven by something like passion. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, Trofim makes a case that he's, you know, he's doing something different, and, you know, actually the reason that 
the uh, you know people are starving is that you know kulak scientists or whatever have been working for years against the people and that sort of thing and you know you're like well it was better last year and it's worse this year. it's animal farm man yeah, it's, it really is it's, it's oh god ah wow that was amazing that was so interesting and, i mean when i when i came across this guy in research i was like how interesting can a plant studier be <laughs> <laughs> a botanist, I believe, is what they're called. <laughs> but then, I, yeah, then I was like, he, his life and experience is like the perfect example of Soviet corruption. Yeah, it's just so really. concise and clear. Yeah, that's crazy. It, it's so weird how it happened across so many different levels. Yeah, you know, it was it was the science. Like, I, I don't think we've covered someone yet who was into the sciences who was also corrupted. Yeah. Um, by by this idea you know these ideas or, or marxism or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. i mean somebody who is so um what's the word like so sure of themselves yeah and so sure of uh, that the the theory could work sort of like it reminds me of goebbels like yep he was so convinced that it had to work that when it clearly wasn't working, it was ah, it's a lie. And you know the same thing with Hitler. It's like they, ah, it's not, you know, it's not so bad. You know, we're gonna win. We're gonna win yeah. until like, until reality is driving into Berlin in a tank. Yep. And you're in a bunker, putting a gun in your mouth. Right. Yeah. You, when you get like this, I think you go all the way to the end. Yeah. You're so arrogant and so prideful, and everyone else was so fucking wrong, and here I am. You know, I had it all figured out, but those idiots wouldn't listen. It's, you know, it's like Hitler was blaming the German people at the end. Yeah. I'm like, you had their total support. Yes. Like, this is... almost completely. Mm -hmm. It's your fault. You were wrong. Yeah. But they're so fucking arrogant. It's like, you know, Trophim, like, God. Yeah, and I... wonder I... if his story ended on a bunker. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It kind of did. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> well, not, it's not as dark. But, okay. like, we've... I, I'd say we've just discovered a couple different themes throughout all of our episodes that we didn't really intend to find uh yeah like i didn't think either of us thought cults were as interesting as they are before we did this and now we're totally like into the psychology of it mm. but i think at least for me one of the things i've really discovered is that nazi fascism and soviet communism were more alike than different yes and it's, that's and that's weird for me yeah <laughs> Because, I mean, you have you fascism and you have communism. They can't be close together. And it's like, no, they're almost the same thing. <laughs> yeah, at the the roots are the same. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, I, it's like, if you just, I mean, and I think probably, okay, so here's an idea. Mm -hmm. Like, if I met, I was reading the other day about this Maoist group in California. Okay. Right. And because I was like, there are Maoists still? And I couldn't figure it out. And then I was watching videos of like this old Chinese guy mm -hmm. basically saying Mao saved the planet and whatever. And he's like sitting in the street, smoke, chain smoking cigarettes. Huh. He's clearly undernourished. Yeah. And he's talking about Mao as being like this, this great guy. Um, and <clears throat> I think, I think it's like the propaganda mm -hmm. is like a poison. Yeah. And it, it, it sticks. It sticks around. Yep. And, you know, I, for the people I know who sympathize with with Marxism or sympathize with even Nazism, National Socialism, yeah. um, the people I've met, it's like they are possessed by it. Yes. They, they, they are, 
Like, you could say, hey, man, you know, look how the Nazis ended things. They had child soldiers in the streets being murdered by Russians. Yes. You know, and it's their fault that they were killed by Russians. Mm. Like, murdered is probably the wrong word, but they're being killed by the Russians Led to in the, the streets. Slaughter, like, yeah. like, that's how it ended. Yep. And you think, and like, for some, like, what is it about it that's so attractive to you? And it really boils down, um, for the for the people who are like, oh, Hitler did some things right. For those kinds of people, like, it almost boiled down entirely to this imaginary idea of what it could have been. Yes, you know, they yes. they obsess over say the uniforms, mm -hmm. right? Like, because there's some like everyone goes, oh man, the Nazis had style. They did, right? Sure. They total they totally fucking did because their uniforms were designed by who was it again? Hugo Boss. Hugo Boss. I think so. Was it Hugo? Some designer, right? Look that up. They were designed to be attractive. Yeah. Right. And it's the same with the Soviet uniforms as well. There's something really attractive about that red star in that uniform. Oh, yeah. Right? And, like, the, the calling to arms is the people's army. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the it's the fist raised in the air, you know, sometimes clutching an AK-47. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... It, it, so it's, like, the thing, the thing that's attractive to Marxism, I think, are the same things that are attractive about, about Nazism. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the whole, like... Everyone's been wrong so far, and there's this there's this golden leader who's figured it out, and and like, that's why there are problems in the world because we just needed the right theory yes. to come along and fix everything. And all you yep. have to do and, and is put on this cool uniform, mm -hmm. you know, don your your iron cross or your red star, pick yep. up that rifle sitting right over there for you, and join the merry band. Yep. And we all need that common enemy, someone to yell at. So we yeah. have to eliminate. Snowball. The, yeah, we have to eliminate the parasite of fill in the blank. Yep. Jews, kulaks, whatever. Oh uh, yeah. Well, it, it's all. Of, I mean, it's like blaming. Well, you need a scapegoat. Yeah. You know. Which you need uh, a scapegoat. Which is interesting for for systems like that to survive. I mean, they're fueled, they're began by hatred of one or more groups. But mm -hmm. let's say that, you know, let's say the Nazis were, were not defeated and were able to, to keep going. I don't think they would have ever stopped finding a group to go after. Even, no. Let's say, let's say they, they purged the world of all Jews, of all gays, of us of all gypsies or whatever, they're going to find a new group. It's not, yeah. it, it's the system that's in place. They have to have that scapegoat in order to unite all the people. Yes. Well, and then, well, it's, it's, the, I mean, they went back to the 18th century in their genetic quotas for entering the Nazi party. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Guaranteed. If they won the war and they kept doing the purges, they would have gone back further yeah. and further oh, and sure. further. Until they realize that, oh my god, all of us are from the same line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know? Uh -huh. Like, uh, there's this... I mean, you can't go back far enough. Mm -hmm. So it's like, just leave it the fuck alone, man. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But like like you said with the loose definition of kulak. Yeah. Right? It's like, anybody who trades anything... Yeah. And and I oh man that that concept that Trofim had mm -hmm. Lysenko had about the uh, planting the seeds close together for 
not uh, natural selection, but natural cooperation. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of a more basely unscientific thing on the planet than that. But purely philosophical. Like, it should make sense from a communist viewpoint, in a way. It does, yeah, which is, they're, they're imposing this philosophical understanding of the world onto the world itself, but nature's not having any of it. No. Nature's just like, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, and you can have your... You can have your little squabbles about what I should be doing, but here's the reality. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Yeah. There are natural laws. Everything's, like... Yeah. It's it's going to take care of itself, basically. Yeah. And ironically, that's sort of like what would happen if the Germans had one and continued to, you know, do their purges and that sort of thing. Yeah. It would have taken care of itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's perfectly poetic that Hitler's life ended with suicide. Yeah. Because that's what it was. I mean, that is what the whole ideology was. Yep. Um, yeah, it's... It's... it's. Here's an idea. Mm-hmm. So, like... It's like alcohol. Okay. Right? You you know, you're you're 21 or, or younger or whatever, and somebody gives you a beer, and you're like, holy shit. Like, I've been missing out. Yeah. And, and you know, you can't wait to get your next one. Right. And... You know, because it makes you number and number and number, mm-hmm. right? And at a certain point, you're completely drunk, and maybe you're an alcoholic or whatever, and it will eventually kill you. Yeah. Because alcohol is not good for you, no matter how good it makes you feel, right? It's just not good for you. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what this reminds me of. It's like they go, "Oh, it's a, it's you know, we'll just get rid of the kulaks over there, you know, to knock back that first beer." Yeah. And then it's like, "Well, there's some more over there. Go <laughs> get them." Yep. Knock back the second one. And eventually you're not making any sense and you're slurring your words. Yes. And you're 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 convinced that you're on top of the world, the best person ever, but really you're, you know, standing naked on top of a roasted car in the <laughs> wild. Yeah. You know, proclaiming your own uh, amazingness or whatever. Or maybe I mean and yeah. it's it's pretty awful because like that's a joke, right? But when you get when you get blackout drunk, you might do something illegal. Oh, for sure. You might you could hurt yourself, you could hurt someone else. Yeah. And it's your fault. Mm-hmm. You got carried away with your your own habits. Yeah, yeah, I can quit whenever I want. Well, yeah, you won't unless you do something now. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's kind of how how it looks to me anyway. Because yeah. it's it's a similar thing. It's like people just get drunk on the ideas. Yep. You know, to the point where they're calling children blood suckers. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, and one thing, one more thing, I want to say is kind of with the kulak phrase or. The Aryan word, or these words that, you know, we don't really know what they mean, but they're thrown around at everyone. Like, so I'll, I'll attack the right and the left in America today, because I've seen it on mm. both sides. The right used the, the word terrorist to describe so many things, and it's like, well, what does yep. that even mean at some point? And then the left uses mm-hmm. the phrase, the 1%, and they attack the 1%. <laughs> yeah. But what the fuck is the 1%? Like... Are we talking yeah. about financial? Are we talking about just in America? I mean, if you make over $35,000, you're in the 1% of the entire world. Like, ugh, it, it, these wow. phrases need to be done away with. <laughs> yeah, they're they're weapons. Yeah. You know, they're 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 weapons um and you can you put them in the hands of some selfish people and boom. It's over. Yeah. Right? You lose. You know, thanks for playing. Uh I, I just I cannot sympathize with wanting to throw people into into these groups just so you can attack them and justify your own selfishness. Right. Yes. You know. Look, yeah, they're all kulaks. Take their grain. Okay. Well, you know, man. All right. Fine. 
maybe they were oppressing you a little bit, right? Sure. Maybe. Just, if I grant you that, maybe they were oppressing you a little bit. <laughs> but who's they? They were also, yeah, exactly. But maybe they were, but if they were also providing all of the food, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. not, it's not even a question. It's like, dude, like, okay, maybe talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe be like, hey, you know, you're oppressing me. Could you change a little bit? They'll probably say, fuck off. I'm just do being a good farmer. Yeah. But that's a lot better than demonizing all of them and then everyone else who associates with them. Yes. Um, yeah. It, ah. And in so many of these cases, like, I'm totally on board with the first half of the sentence. And then they completely lose me on the second half. It's like, <laughs> yeah. we need to rebuild Germany. Great. By killing all of the Jews. What? Or <laughs> yeah. how did you get yeah. there? <laughs> I'm, I don't see the connect the dots. Yeah. You know, we need to help the people, or we need to end cor corrosive monopolies. Okay, great. By killing all the farmers. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I think the only way you can get there is by. I think I said this to Bryce. Is like you sit in a closet and you think about it. No, no, I said it on the Goebbels episode. It's like you're sitting in yeah. a closet thinking about it so much that you are so removed from reality yep. that your perspective on reality becomes whatever you think it should be. And then you go out and you're it's like if you were convinced you could fly. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like, I, I thought about this a long time and there's I wrote a book about it. It's called The Aviator's Manifesto. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. I'm convinced that people have just been held back by their own... By everyone else. Like, everyone else says you can't fly. You're a human being. You can't fly. Mm -hmm. um, so then you're like, well, everyone's been telling me I can't fly. But, you know, for thousands of years, people have been able to fly. It's just been, you know, social constraints or whatever. Yeah. And so you go out to a cliff to put it to the test. And you jump off and you free fall for a second. And you're like, I'm flying. <laughs> yeah. And then you keep falling. And you're like, I'm flying faster. Yep. And you're falling faster and faster. And you go, now I'm at terminal velocity. And you're like, you know, this is where, this is the golden state. This is where it was supposed to go. I'm so excited. And then bam, you hit the ground and it's over. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's like, you know, only in the last second could you possibly, if you were that deluded, only in the last second could you possibly have any chance of being like, maybe I was wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's, wow. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, anyway, I, I love talking about this shit. Oh, for sure. Um, it's almost like we should just run a hot mic on this, but we could um, sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Probably could. Probably could. You know what? Um, what if as a Patreon goal we have a hot mic discussion on the topic of someone's choice? Ooh. Like it could just be That's ten minutes idea. or so, like at the end of an episode. Mm-hmm. But that could be fun. I bet we get a lot yeah. of weird topics. That could be great. Hey, Patreon goal, we release a hot mic session for our patrons. Yo, there we go. Yeah. On a, yeah. 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 I like That's that. That's good. Good idea. Okay. Okay. Since you're, yeah, since you're so energized, write that down. <laughs> yes. Uh, let me. I think we should just move on. I, I think so. We've been on that for okay. 20 minutes. <laughs> all right. It's good, good I mean, it, those 20 minutes blow by. Yeah. I mean, it's all bullshit. Um, I was making it up. But oh yeah, it's all a lie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all a, the kulaks made <laughs> the it up. The kulaks, yep. James is a fucking kulak, everybody. Oh god. Go get him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I say we just roll right over to Ned Kelly's end and death. I agree. Yes. So, when we left Ned Kelly and his merry band, he was on the run after his gang murdered a police informant named Aaron Sherritt. Uh -huh, Remember that yes. story with the cops under the bed? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. So now the gang is on their way to Glen Rowan. And why are they going to Glen Rowan? Uh, I don't know. They want to wreck some trains carrying policemen who might pursue them. Smart, okay. Yeah, okay. So they kidnap two rail workers, 
Okay. Uh, and their families, their families. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and Ned Kelly forces these men to damage the track going through Glen Rowan. Okay. So they then went and uh, took the town of Glen Rowan hostage the same way. Um, they put them all in a local hotel, 62 of okay. them. And they have a party, of course. And everyone's drinking and eating and laughing and dancing. Yeah. They're singing songs together and playing cards. And the hostages, you know, they're having the time of their lives. Yeah. Because it's basically on Ned's, Ned's dime. Yeah. Right? Amazing. Um, so anyway, later that night, uh, Ned, Byrne, and some of the ho- and Byrne is one of his gang members. Yep. There's only four of them members. So Ned and Byrne and some of the hostages went to the police station to capture the constable, Constable Bracken. So some of the hostages are helping. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah. So one of these hostages was named Kernow, mm-hmm. um, and he made a deal with Ned. Mm-hmm. If Kernow drove Ned to the police station, Ned would let Kernow and his family go home for the night instead of staying at the hotel. Mm. Right? Because he's like, it's noisy, it's party. Yeah. You know, I got kids. Let's sure. go home. Um, so. Ned agrees to this deal. He's like, go on home if you drive me out there. And so Ned, or Kernow drives him out there, and Ned goes in to the police station or whatever. Yep. Um, but Ned had a condition. He said, I'm going to send somebody over later tonight, and if you're not there, I'll hunt you down and kill you. Okay, well, yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, so about that time, there's two trains coming in from Melbourne, uh, packed with police officers coming to capture Kelly and his gang after Sherritt's murder, because, you know, this will not stand, a police Sure. Center being murdered in his home in front of his wife and kids, you know, not, not going to, no. not going to happen. Right. So anyway, so these, these, they're coming in on trains Yeah. and Kernow knows this. He knows what's going on. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's such a brave fucking guy. Okay. He breaks his deal with Kelly. Oh shit. And at 3 a.m. he takes a red scarf, a candle and some matches and runs out to the rail line in order to try to stop the police train. Oh, wow. And he manages to do it before they hit the, the trap. Jeez. So he saves all these cops. Wow. Right? Um, so, which, you know, from Kelly's perspective, Kernow's obviously a traitor, but from my perspective, he's, he saved human he's lives. He's a hero. So, yeah. Yeah, he's a hero. Those cops could have all been killed in a derailing, a double derailing. Yeah. Um, so the cops, like, are now pretty pissed off, and so they dismount and head for Glen Rowan. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Ned and his gang have holed up in their hotel with all the hostages. Right. They're making plans to let everyone go. Um, but the wife of the guy who owns the hotel says they all want to stay. Uh, why? To, to hear Ned give a fucking lecture. What? What? Yeah. On what? Yeah. On on political or police oh, oppression. Okay, basically. wow. Yeah. But just about as he's about to start, Byrne busts through the door and tells Ned, uh, Ned that the cops are on the way. Oh. So they immediately jump into action and start suiting up for battle, loading their guns, sharpening their knives, all the rest. Mm-hmm. With great uh, music, one of their I'm hostages. Sure. What's that? With great music playing in the background, I'm sure. Oh, fantastic music, of course. Yep. Um, somebody's on the honky tonk, you know, just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it is a tavern, so. True. Anyway, so one of the hostages, if you'll remember, Constable Bracken, mm-hmm. uh, makes use of their distracted state and escapes, hmm. uh, heading off to give the police the heads up they need to to succeed against the gang. Right. Right. Like, they're armed, they're dangerous, they have 62 hostages, <laughs> or six, 61. Yeah. Um, so shortly thereafter, the police are outside the house, uh, and this house contains both the gang and the hostages, mind Right, you. and there are four gang people and 60 hostages or so. Yeah, and so the cops just start shooting at the building. Uh, <laughs> and remember, okay. they know that there are hostages inside because Constable Bracken told right. them. Right. Right, so they're just shooting at this building. Oh, jeez. So the police do a great job uh, because these actions end up shooting the hotel owner's son. Oh, God. And his mother just, like, wanders in and out of the building amidst the gunfire, like, screaming for help. But the police just keep shooting. Oh. <laughs> uh, 
eventually, another one of the hostages helps this woman carry her son out despite the gunfire, and they manage to get him to a hospital for treatment. Oh, that's good. Right. So he doesn't die. Yeah. Um, as far as I know. Uh, so anyway, it's worth noting that the Kellys are shooting back, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So they're not they're not taking this lying down, and they're scoring some hits. Um, but these police, you know, there are thirty policemen surrounding the building, yeah. so they don't stand a chance. Um, at a certain point, one of these thirty men discovers a bloody revolving rifle a good distance from the hotel. Nice. It's Ned Kelly. Okay. Which means he's out, right? Oh, he got out. Yeah. But they're still shooting at someone in the building, and they don't know who. Mm-hmm. They're assuming it's other gang members and things. So. Anyway, the cops have been shooting at this house for God knows how long, and the outlaws uh, were basically, uh, they didn't know if they were inside still. They didn't know how many were inside, essentially. Um, so just keep I mean, they shooting. Knew they're, so they just keep shooting, this, but they're, you know, they're getting... This sounds like the ATF and David Koresh's... <laughs> just... that, so I was telling somebody this story, they said that exact same really? thing. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so the police basically decide that it's probably time to let the terrified civilians go. Mm-hmm. Um, so they allow them to come out one by one and inspect each of them to make sure they're not outlaws in disguise. <laughs> and while this, and you remember that they think they're pretty sure the gang is still inside. Yeah. In fact, they probably are certain the gang is still inside because, you know, the civilians are telling them. Yes. Um, but while all this is going on, something's approaching the police from the bush. Oh, uh, shit. Moving between the trees, a man dressed in armor approaches <laughs> the police. Stepping out of the bush calmly and determinedly, Ned Kelly, dressed in bulletproof armor from head to dick, <laughs> is enshrouded and enshrouded in the early morning mist, opens fire on the police with a revolver. That's fucking epic. Yeah. So let's talk about this armor, yeah. shall we? Um, so it's, it weighed something like a hundred pounds. Oh, God. He's got a chest plate and shoulder pads and a helmet. It looks like something a goddamn crusader would wear. Uh-huh. So it's got like a slit in the front. Yeah. And the rest of it is, you know... Uh, but anyway, so it's, it's, it's really fucking heavy, yeah. um, because it's gotta be bulletproof. Right. And so they made it out of plow blades. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. They hammered it into shape, uh, on like a, a, a piece of, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Okay. A certain kind of wood. Okay. So it created as little noise as possible when they were forging it. Yeah. Huh. Um, and it covers everything except for the arms and lower legs. Okay. Um, so you should actually go look at pictures of this thing because it's still in a museum. Okay. Um, it's got dents in it from the bullets it absorbed. Oh, jeez. And, you know, deflected and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, and you, like, you have to imagine this crusader-type armor, helmet and chest plate, paired with a khaki duster flapping in the wind. Oh, my God. Because Ned Kelly combined the crusader look with the post-apocalyptic badass. Oh, jeez. It's, it's hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, and it works for like two seconds. <laughs> um, it works really well. Uh, in fact, not a single bullet gets through. The problem was mm-hmm. no armor on the legs and arms. Right. And Kelly didn't actually manage to kill anyone before he was taken down. So he was subdued and arrested. <laughs> oh, he was well, shot several times in the arms and legs. Yeah. Um, so it turns out <laughs> Kelly had actually been doing this as a way to distract the police yeah. so that the other three gang members could escape. Oh, wow. Uh, unfortunately, Byrne had been shot. Uh, earlier uh, while drinking whiskey at the bar Classic. while this you know was all going down yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other two were firing out the back of the end they also they also had bulletproof armor Ugh, wow. um, and you know they were taking no nonsense but eventually the police had had enough so they set the building on fire oh gee wait the um, people was so, all the pe- or the building with all the people in it all the civilians were out at this point oh okay so some priest attempted to rescue any survivors at the end mm-hmm. um, while it was burning down. Like, he went into the burning building to try and rescue the, the two boys who were... Wow. Know, I say boys, the two gangsters. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
so like he discovered them inside though because you know they knew they were going to burn yeah. or get shot or get arrested um so they both killed themselves together mm. um so yeah here's this wow. here's the numbers so the police managed to shoot five civilians during the encounter oh, god uh-huh. which is you know i guess that's pretty good all things considered it's it's um, still civilians but it's still five well they're probably cool I mean, locks if, anyway so whatever uh, yeah. <laughs> um ned kelly had also accidentally killed a hostage too oh well so there's that probably I, just I, doug I, and fuck <laughs> doug yeah doug's a cool lock. Yep. but anyway so ned is the only one of the gang members who survived this whole thing oh so he was put on trial in october of 1880 and was convicted of murder mm-hmm and that was the only that was the one thing they needed to get him on in order to hang him. Sure. So he was sentenced to death by hanging. Okay. And uh, oh god, carbonated water. Sorry. The judge said uh, these are his last words. Uh-huh. Um, or not his last words, but among his last words, the judge said to him, "May God have mercy on your soul." Mm-hmm. Of course. To which Kelly answered, "I will see you there where I go." Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. So he's like either saying the judge is going to heaven or hell, but either way, Kelly, I think envisioned himself being forgiven yeah or whatever yeah um so anyway they took kelly's picture which is the picture i described at the beginning just such a just a baller looking yeah. guy um so they took his picture he was allowed to say goodbye to his parents oh wow um <laughs> and his mother told him mind you die like a kelly oh jeez damn <laughs> that's that's like uh what the spartan wives would say to their husbands and sons yeah like come with the shield or upon it or come back with the shield or upon it <laughs> yeah Jeez, you gotta die with honor yeah so uh kelly's last words are not certain okay um some say he said such is life wow and some say he said ah well i suppose it's come to this mm. <laughs> <laughs> so the prison warden said that kelly mumbled something else though before the short drop and the sudden stop but he couldn't hear it okay so we don't really know his his definite last word. Yeah. So he was he was hanged in November of 1880. Wow. <laughs> the reward for his capture was divided up among the policemen, um, and that brave guy Kernow, mm-hmm. who stopped the police trains, uh, he got 550 pounds out of the deal, which is great. Yeah, good for um, him. <laughs> yeah. There were also some there were some trackers that the police had hired. Uh-huh. Um, they were Aboriginals. Uh, they were called I, I, this is just what they were called. They were called black trackers. Okay. Um, they knew the land. They knew, yeah. you know, how to read it, everything. So they had earned technically about 50 pounds a piece. Okay. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> for their help in getting this criminal. Great. Uh, but the board <laughs> decided not to give it to them because they didn't think aboriginals knew how to use money. That's the lamest excuse I've ever heard. That's the lame. Yeah. It's the lamest, pretty racist. Well, well ex- yeah. Extremely racist yeah. <laughs> thing to say. Um, because, you know, they were working with them. Yeah. They hired them, so I don't know. Well, I heard one. Anyway. I, I heard one Australian comedian say that three percent of the Australian population is Aboriginal, ninety-seven percent is racist. Oh God! <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, so there's there's some stories that I'm gonna kind of pass over. Mm-hmm. Um, people light wanted to rob Kelly's grave. They wanted to steal his body and sure. sell it. You know, because yeah. it was you know iconic and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it changed many times hands many times throughout history until actually 2012 what okay yeah when kelly's ancestors finally got possession of the body oh wow that's amazing yeah and they gave it a proper catholic burial in 2013 good for them um yeah but because you know he'd been he'd thrown been thrown into a mass grave where murderers and criminals were thrown yeah 
they eventually found him again. Somebody robbed it. You know, his head was passed around for a while or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, absolutely crazy. Wow. But they finally got it back, and he's at rest in, uh, I think, on the, the land that he owned. Wow. Or lived on. Yeah. So, anyway, Ned Kelly became an Australian icon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and his story was actually brought to film in 1906. Okay. Wow. It was the first feature-length film in history. Really? Yeah. Wait. Uh, Ned Kelly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they also made two others about him uh, that I know of. One was made in the 70s, huh. and the other was made in 2003, starring Heath Ledger. Um, okay. I'd never heard about those movies. Huh. Um, but I watched the end scene with the armor in all of them. Yeah. All of them fucked it up. Oh, it's, God. They're all not good. I mean, the 1906 one is the best one. Wow. Um, and, yeah. So the funny thing is, like, the other thing of it is... Uh, Ned Kelly attacked the police with one revolver, but mm -hmm. in 1906, they showed him with two at the huh. armor. Okay. And they didn't drop that until... Uh, they didn't drop that in the later films either. He always had two pistols. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, so... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the movies were not well-liked, except for the first one. Anyway, so there were entire towns, uh, Glen Rowan in particular, uh, that still today uh, subsist almost entirely on Kelly tourism. <laughs> that's awesome, actually, yeah. Yeah, so, like, he's a folk hero there. Yeah. Which I, I, that's awesome to learn about. Yeah. Um, he's also remembered as being something like a political revolutionary. Huh. Um, there's a little bit on this. Um, you know, some little guy getting stepped on the man, yeah. so he has to resort to violence. But, you know, he's still liked by the people, so he's compared to, like, Che Guevara. Okay, well. Uh, and other people like that. Hmm. So... <laughs> Yeah. Fair enough. Anyway, uh, and it's that's like a little stub at the end of the you know sure. from what I read. So. Yeah, it reminds me it's of more like it ahead. reminds me of Arminius last week. Yeah, it's like yeah. did all these things. Also, the Nazis liked him. It's yeah. Like, well, so he, okay. He, <laughs> yeah, he, he's remembered. Oh, excuse me. He's remembered as a folk hero more than he is as like a revolutionary. Right. Yeah, yeah. He kind of was not a revolutionary. Yeah. I mean, you could tangentially connect some things, but he sure. wasn't. A political revolutionary by any stretch. Right. So, anyway, I'm done. I want to go back to Trofim Lysenko. Okay. Well, right. There's not much on him. Okay. Uh, so after his removal from Soviet science, Trofim spent the rest of his days working at an experimental farm, okay. just doing his thing. Uh, but he was pretty much done. He was out of the picture. Uh, the Soviet Union was kind of disgraced and embarrassed by him. So, he died in Moscow on November 10th, 1976, aged 78, and the Soviet government did its best to minimize the significance of the death and what Trofim had done. And, like I, like I said earlier, Trofim Lysenko is best known for Lysenkoism and its effect on the Soviet Union. For 20 to 30 years, Trofim held a near monopoly on Soviet science and sent the whole field spiraling backwards. Uh, uh, yeah. And this also encouraged famine and massive amounts of death due to starvation. Oh, and he also had rival scientists killed and imprisoned. So basically a huge scumbag who was backwards, <laughs> but kind of a great, perfect example of Soviet corruption. Backwards, anti-science, uh, pro-natural cooperation. Yeah. Nah, man. Ugh, I no. don't know. Predators prey. That's life. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it's that's brutal, life. but it's how it works. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm assu I had a thought. I had a thought when he was he was talking about like uh, how you could turn a uh, a wheat plant into a rye oh, plant. Yeah. 
by treating it right. I was like, maybe he thinks that weeds are just misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Well, shall we head to the surface? Hi. Yes, we should. Yes. Off we go! So, James, what are you going to mm-hmm. do for the rest of the day? Well, uh, I think I'm going to make a suit of bulletproof armor that protects everything but my legs. Great! Are you also going to piss off a whole bunch of cops and have your kneecaps blown off? Better! I'm going to put on said suit of armor to protect myself from the dangers of the world and eat Hot Pockets all day long. And I'm not going to even make a depression joke. It just kind of sounds blissful. Agreed. Good luck on your quest, sir. I don't need luck. Just a microwave and a shot of insulin. Well, I think it's about time to bring the show to an end for today. Feel free to send all your hate mail to we talk about dead people podcast at gmail.com. We will read all of it and nod along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com. That's patreon.com slash we talk about dead people. Even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs me in fines to mention communism, helps tremendously. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of Ned Kelly play you out. Bang, bang! It's uh, Johnny Law. Thank <laughs> you.